Talk Live. You can bring up anything. Just dial toll-free. 800-259-9231. That is the SACL CAI toll-free line. And it is Ian here with you. And Dale. And Mark. And you can join us online at freetalklive.com. All the features on the site, they are totally free, so enjoy those on us. Again, freetalklive.com. Start things out here tonight. Story out of the New York Post about... This actress lady that died in a ski accident. Did you guys hear about this? No. no. It, was, it was big news over the weekend or whatever it was in the last few days. This was the you know the top story. Oh, one of our actresses has died. Now, I don't want to make it seem like I'm making light of this poor lady. She died in a, in a horrific accident that, uh, that resulted in, from what I understand, her brain bleeding to death or Ugh. something like that. So that's awful. Uh, it it shouldn't, have, uh, shouldn't happen to anybody. I don't wish that on anybody, but it happened. And now people are asking a question that I think really needs to be asked, and that Should is... Should we allow bl- brains to bleed? No. That is, uh, did the socialist government of Canada, the socialized medicine system, allow her brain to bleed? And that's what the New York Post is taking a look at here. We'll get to that in a moment, but first let's go to your phone calls about whatever you want. Jimmy, in Kentucky, you're on Free Talk Live. Hello, Jimmy. Hey, guys. How's it going tonight? Hey, what's on your mind? Well, I, I've called in before. Um, I quit paying income taxes a few years back. Uh, down here in Kentucky, we do have an income tax uh, automatically taken out. So anything other than that, that they automatically take out federal, I quit filing and all that good stuff. Wow. Years, I think about 2005, 2006 or so. And uh, I kind of came home the other day with a actual package taped to my front door by the IRS. They were in my driveway. <laughs> they were in your driveway at the time you, you came home? No, they actually they uh, they taped a package of information to my front door. So, and not even, they didn't mail me anything. I mean, there, somebody actually came to my house. Well, tell us about this, this information that they gave you, this, this valuable well, information that they had to come all I've the way to your house for. <laughs> Yeah, I've got all sorts of great little documents, like um, one's entitled Your Rights as a Taxpayer. I've got the IRS collection process, um, a collection of appeal or collection appeal rights letter, and then it's got all my tax information um, regarding the filings that I haven't done. And one thing that really kind of, I mean, I never really planned on cooperating with any of this in the first place. And, of course, coming home, to, you know, I've, I've expected to hear from them in some sense at some point. And it had, um, it had been two years no, since it's you been, I haven't filed since 2005. Okay. So four and years. I, I got, yeah, I got a letter, God, I, probably last year or so, I guess it was, just saying that, you know, it just stated that they hadn't received my filings. We and, miss you. We really love yeah. to have you use our <laughs> services. So, are are exactly. you a um a, you know a wage earner? Like, do you work for a company or do you uh, work for yourself? How does um you know? I uh, technically, I guess, I work for myself. The, the my employer pays me as contract labor. Do they file a 1099? He does. He does file. Okay, so that's what I'm. They know what I'm making. Um, I just don't file. Gotcha. Good on you, man. I think that uh, I think you're very courageous. Uh, most people don't have the courage to take that step, and of course now they're they're co- looks like they might be coming after you. So uh, double uh, double kudos to you for having the courage to stand up and, and face this. Uh, what are you doing? What are they? Are they threatening you? Uh, what else? Yeah, is- that's this is the thing that kind of sent me over the edge. Like I was saying, I wasn't planning on cooperating in the first place, um, and and with this letter. 
the, the main letter that's in here, the one thing in here that um, is making me look at this as, by definition, this is terrorism, because they're telling me failure to complete these actions will result in a notice, notice of federal tax lien and levy of assets. So by definition, that's terrorism. They're threatening me to get me to go along with their political system, so to speak. Well, I, I, right? guess, I guess you weren't aware that uh, that's how laws work, right? <laughs> oh, yeah. That's absolutely. all of the law, I yeah. Mean, that, yeah, that, but that's um, – and, you know, if I, if, I, don't, I don't know really how I'm going to proceed with it. I'm, I'm weighing the options of just completely disregarding any contact with them, or not disregarding, but just – avoiding any contact with them or actually going into it head on and calling the guy and explaining my point of view, you know, either way, I figure it's probably going to end less than ideal, but you know, I, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to start looking at a lot of the Mark Stevens stuff. I've uh, emailed, um, Stefan, uh, what's my name? Stefan Molnieu. Yeah. I emailed him back and forth a couple of times about some stuff and he got him forward to me some information so I'm I'm kind of weighing my options on how to proceed with it. Well, I'm not really sure which way I want to head yet. What uh, kind of timetable are they demanding? He wants to hear back from me by Monday. And well, this was, he dropped his stuff off this past week. I I wouldn't you know I I would never recommend to anyone uh, that they uh, you know in your situation that they not pay their taxes. However. Um, Ian would, um, but uh, I don't think they're your taxes. I think whatever that, pay the taxes. Excuse me for not saying it properly, um, but I, I don't think I'd contact this guy. That's I, what I'm kind of thinking. I figure the less um, they have to, the less contact I have with them, the more off the radar I may be potentially. I don't know. It's a possibility. Do you own that house that you're living in? No, luckily nothing. I, I the only thing in my name, and I've got a, I'm, I do have, I've got a family. Um, I was going to ask. I'm not that. married, but we've got kids, and but technically, nothing. I don't own anything but a car. I have, you know, I've got bank accounts, but they're minimally used, and so there's really there's nothing, you know. And being contract labor, it's kind of hard for them to really come after me and take anything. So, That's your best bet right there. I think it's just being very, very difficult to pursue. They, they mostly go after big fish, and they go after. Uh, people who they can, you know, if they can get you electronically as much as possible and just confiscate assets and things right. like that. Then I'm sure, you know, yeah. Because it takes money and effort and time for them to pursue people and prosecute and all that. That's stuff. a good point. The investigator would probably like nothing more than for you to show up Monday with all the paperwork filled out and say, oh, I'm so sorry, here's the check, right? Because then he right. wouldn't have to do any work. I think probably that's a good point. On. Although there have, I'm sure, been plenty of stories of people who have also completely ignored the IRS and all their demands, right. and then all of a sudden, you know, a goon squad comes and kicks in the door. I mean, that's just my speculation. I imagine that there are some examples of that out there. I think it's good that you're looking at different options. I have no idea what the you know what the right path for you uh, what it is, but I'm very interested in having you kind of follow up with us if you can over time and, and let us know is how this situation develops and, and what it is you end up deciding to do because I think there are a lot of people out there that would like to do what you've done and keep the money that they earn and withhold it from the this band of thugs, this band of robbers that threatens people's livelihood if they don't hand over a portion of the income that they earn. I think a lot of people would like to stop, but they're frightened to death of what might happen to them or their families or their home or whatever if they actually do engage in that. And so maybe you telling your story can 
can help either encourage them or maybe maybe show them that they were right to just go on and pay the gang. I think that it's wrong. I think the wrong thing to do is to pay the gang, and I think that if more people uh, had the courage that you do, Jimmy, I think that uh, that everything would, would change. And they do evil That's things with thing. your money if, after if, they take it. So Yeah, if more people would, you know, sort of band together and not pay, then they can't, they being the IRS government, what have you, they can't put everybody in jail, or they can't take everything from everybody. I mean, you, you start taking, you know, thousands of people's property and whatnot, and people are going to riot and just lose it. You know, it's uh, not that I want that to happen. <laughs> I'm just saying if people, if more people would participate in not paying the government, it would, I think it would just go better for everybody. I absolutely agree. I, I'm curious, where do they want you to, to meet up? They act, he's just asking this this guy. Um, I don't know if I can say his name or not. He, he just wrote. I'm putting it on my website, so it's Charlie Hinkley. He wants me to uh, fax him uh, all these 1040s from the past four or five years or whatever it is. Yeah, that's it. Give and, him some evidence. Yeah, exactly. So I'm I'm pretty. I, I don't know. I'm pro- I'm leaning more towards the. Um, off the radar. Well, if you end well, up deciding to talk to this guy, we can hang on. Hang on. I want to hang on and I'll bring you back if you've got time because Mark, I, I know, has more questions here. 800-259-9231. Uh, hopefully, Jimmy will come back and talk to us some more. I'm wondering, you know, or, or rather, an approach would be if you wanted to talk to this guy to come in with video cameras and, I mean, even if you don't have activists to back you up to, to document this. Uh, more coming up with Jimmy. I think that's a terrible idea. This is Free Talk Live. This is Free Talk Live. You can bring up what you want. Just dial toll-free to 800-259-9231. That's the SACL CAI toll-free line. And it's Ian here with you. And Dale. And Mark. You can join us online at freetalklive.com. We've got archives, so if you've missed a moment of the show, click and download. They are yours free at freetalklive.com. Going back for an entire year on us. Go to freetalklive.com and find the Adult Friend Finder banner. It's the world's largest adult social networking site and sex personals over 19 million members. Let them help you find that sexy someone to hook up with tonight. Adult Friend Finder. See their banner at freetalklive.com. As we go back to Jimmy in Kentucky, Jimmy, who had called to tell us that he found a package taped to his front door today from the good old friends at the IRS. Uh, They'd written you to tell you that they missed you and that they want you back as a customer. Uh, (laughs) That uh, essentially you hadn't filed tax returns in the last four years or so. And uh, apparently one of the local agents has taken an interest in you. Now, the paperwork that they sent you, and Jimmy, are you still with us? Yeah, I am. Okay, the paperwork that they sent you, did this agent, uh, did he write it, uh, did he sign it himself, or was it like an automated kind of form? What did what did, what was the feeling you were getting from it? it uh, it's it's very personal. He even he gives me his cell phone number and everything, um, which I find odd as well, it seems. <laughs> In here, it even he even notes that um, while I am under investigation, all past tax liabilities, they all they all have to be processed by him, which kind of gives it a feel of a scam. <laughs> well, you've got a, you've got a personal account manager now. Yeah. <laughs> 
Jimmy, uh, I, but yeah, it's very personal. You know, I I, I am uh, of the opinion that, as you uh, as I said before, that you should you know not respond if you're not going to pay. I mean, if you're going to pay, then right. you know obviously start writing them checks. But if you're not going to respond, that I wouldn't uh, you know like I wouldn't uh, call this guy up and say. Look, I don't believe that the federal government has the right to to extract taxes from me and use that money to kill Arabs around the world and you know whatever other things that uh, the you know the government does uh, with the money you know bad things as far as you're concerned because like it will uh, the righteousness that you have in your voice will be telling him you're a bad person for working for these people and the you know right. the the one person he's going to go after is the one that's called him a jerk. Yeah, I well, can't I imagine think, that conversation ending well. It just sounds like it's at the phase where, you know, just make it a lot of work for them if they are going to pursue you, and uh, and that's probably, I mean, and it may not go much further. Yeah, so, that's the thing. The, the, I wouldn't make it easy for they them. Brought, yeah, that, that's a, definitely not. The address they brought it to, I haven't used for anything in years. I've actually got a UPS box at, you know, like one of the mailboxes mm-hmm. that I use for all my, well, I mean, everything. That so ideally, or not ideally, but pretty much it. I I don't live anywhere according to anything I've done in years, and That's good. they're gonna. It's it's not. I'm gonna make it as much of a pain in the ass as I possibly can. Now, um, th- you said that was on your front door, so the address, um, you know, is your house. Yeah, technically, well, I I live here, yes. Okay. Um, but no, I'm not on any paperwork or anything associated with it. And that and part of the reason is because the my uh, my girlfriend is not under the same um, ideology ideology that God I can't even talk right, right now. She, she, she doesn't feel the same way as I do about it, and due to that, she doesn't want me associated with the family on paperwork i gotcha so has this uh is she aware of what is going on at this point absolutely yeah she's uh livid to say the least yeah that's (laughs) gonna be fun i can imagine wow all right so um so you're still weighing your options and uh, let us know what you end up deciding to do i know mark stevens has definitely worked with people on this over at markstevens.net with mark with a c i know he's worked with people on irs cases and of course he's going to come back and probably you know talk about asking these bureaucrats a bunch of questions so i'm not sure uh you know what the best route is but whatever you end up deciding uh will you keep us in the loop yeah absolutely i'm uh i'll uh, if, if anything next issue that comes about, I'll, I'll let you know how it's going. Okay. Guys, any other questions for Jimmy while we have him? Jimmy nope. in Kentucky, thank you for the call tonight, and good luck out there. 800-259-9231. That is the SACL CAI toll-free line. There's a, non-compliance is actually a lot higher than most people think, when it comes, especially when it comes to people who don't get W-2s. So anyone who's working, people who are working for themselves and people who are contract workers and things like that, mm-hmm. they're at the non-compliance. I can't remember what the number is, but I think it's above 20%. It's like uh, more like... A, 30 or 40 percent so most like a lot like of people of, that that work for themselves just don't yeah. bother are they either or they're not they're not being completely uh they're not doing everything necessarily they need to do to some extent or another and i think there's a significant number of them yeah that just don't file Toll-free number here if you want to tell us your story. Maybe you've had a similar encounter as Jimmy, uh, and you want to share that with us. 800-259-9231. What would would you do if you were in Jimmy's shoes right now? If you had come home to a package, a special package, delivered by, hand-delivered allegedly, by the IRS agent himself, uh, would you go to the meeting? Uh, Would you ignore it? Would you do something different? 
1-800-259-9231. Let's talk to John in New Hampshire. You're on Free Talk Live. Hello, John. Gentlemen. Hey, what's on your mind tonight? Yeah, this uh, fellow Jimmy that just called in, i got to give him a huge uh, kudos. He never used the mind control word that we all grew up with. He never, he never called those his taxes. He never said, my taxes. He's not confused about that. That's important. About five, about five years ago, I, I moved to New Hampshire, and I, and I started to meet people who were not paying federal taxes. And at that time, I got on kind of a crusade because some people would say, I don't pay my taxes. Mm-hmm. And, and it really just kind of, you know, it took two or three or five people before I started to say, why do you say my taxes <laughs> if you don't agree with that? Um, why? That's the brainwashing thing that we all grew up with. And uh, sure is. so it's kind of a, as we're approaching April 15th now, I just want to remind people, you're going to hear that all over the media, that you need to pay your taxes. Yep. Yeah. We, well, people need to keep saying that in their minds, it's not my taxes. If you're not in favor of them, they're not yours. Yeah, if, uh, right. I never consented to it. How did I become obligated to pay their taxes? How did that happen? It's just threat of force. That's all it's ever been. It's always just been brainwashing. One generation after another tells their children, well, Johnny, you better pay tax. You better pay your taxes when you grow up or else. And then, you know, little Johnny goes and passes that on to his kids. And no- nobody, ever sa- nobody ever says, well, wait, how did this start in the first place? Ian, you know it. And I just want to repeat one more time before you drop me. Um, folks out there listening, this is mind control. It's, it's, it's propagated through the media. It's something that we all grew up with. And you're going to hear it over and over and over again as we approach April 15th. It's true. That you need to pay your taxes. Keep telling yourself, I need to free my mind, because if you don't ever free your mind, then your ass will never follow. They're not your taxes if you don't agree with them. Well said, John. I thank you for the call. 800-259-9231. It's easy for those old terms to sneak back yeah. into the way that we the way that we speak. I just yeah. did it just now. <laughs> yeah, the caller said that it was terrorism because they were threatening him if he didn't obey them. And Mark said, yeah, that that's the way all the laws work. And in fact, there's just the one law, obey. Mm-hmm. If you fail to obey, then they will punish you. That's how it works. 800-259-9231. But if enough people fail to obey, if enough people refuse to go along with this scam, then they can't punish everyone. They just don't have the funds. They don't have the resources. They can already. There's already a lot. Yep. 800-259-9231. That's the SACL CAI toll-free line. You can bring up whatever you want. This is Free Talk Live. Government officials like to think they know better than the rest of us. They tell us what we can buy and when we can buy it. Everything from guns and booze to cold medicine and cigarettes. Now they've gone even farther. Cities across the country are now trying to tax and ban bottled water. That's right. Simple, no alcohol, no caffeine, no calorie bottled water. They say it's wasteful and buying it is, quote, stupid. But who are they to decide? If politicians decide you shouldn't even be able to buy bottled water, what's next? Visit us at enjoybottledwater.org and sign the petition to keep the nanny state out of our water bottles. This 
is Free Talk Live. You can dial in toll-free and bring up whatever you want. 800-259-9231. That is the SACL CAI toll-free line. It's Ian here with you. And Dale. And Mark. And you can join us online at freetalklive.com. All the features on the site are free, so enjoy those, including the bulletin board system with over 450,000 posts. There's a lot to talk about there. Serious issues to fun stuff. you find it all free at bbs.freetalklive.com. The world's largest machine gun shoot and military gun show is April the 3rd, 4th, and 5th at Knob Creek Gun Range. It's fun for the whole family with machine guns and flamethrowers for rent. Helicopter rides and 800, 800 tables showcasing handguns, rifles, shotguns, and more. Opens at 9 a.m. It's $10 per person. KNOBCreekRange.com. That's KnobCreekRange.com. 1-800-259-9231. You continue. Dial in. Bring up anything. We go to the, uh, your phone calls. It's Dawn in California. Dawn, you're on Free Talk Live. Hello? Hello, Dawn. What's on your mind tonight? Um, my husband just got a letter from DNV stating that his driver's license was suspended. He called to find out what was going on, and he found out that the state of Alaska had placed a hold on his driver's license. Because 18 years ago, when we first oh met, he, he did get a ticket for driving intoxicated. We paid $500 to the court system, and we paid $500 to the treatment center called JSAP. This, this is in Alaska? June, yes, Juneau, Alaska. Okay. So we went to, he went to treatment. We paid the $500. He completed it. He, he was told that because he received his driver's license in the state of California, even though he paid the fines in Alaska, paid the treatment, went to the alcohol treatment, he has to pay the state of Alaska $500 for a reinstatement fee. This was 18, 18 years, years ago. later. Yes. So, so it was the we, state of California that suspended his California no, license? No. It, it, his, his, his license was suspended in Alaska. It was suspended just now in Alaska? No. Oh, yes, yes, yes. He's, been, he's had a license for the past um, 10 years, over 10 years. He's had a Maybe. license in, I'm just trying to get all this clear, he's had a license in, an Alaskan license for the last 10 years? No, we live in California now. Okay. We moved to California in 1990. Got it. He got his license in 1990. And at that time, at the time he got the California license, he he believed no, that the Alaska license was completely uh, legit. Well, what happened? He didn't. His license was suspended in in Alaska. Okay. I'm sorry. We moved to California in the year 2000. We we difference. moved to California in the year 2000. He's okay. had a driver's license in California since the year 2000. So when he moved into California, his Alaska license was still suspended from the the previous DUI or whatever it was? Yes. All right. And so now it's California that suspended his license. Yes. We contacted an attorney. The attorney told us that the states are presently contacting other states for people that have gotten driver's license in different states. And 
you know, figuring ways out to get more money. Now we have to pay Alaska, and this happened 18 years ago. We paid the court fees, and we paid the treatment center $500. Did you know back 18 years ago that they would have his license suspended for life? I yeah, mean, because they will suspend your license automatically with with a DUI, of course. Yeah. They'll suspend it for 90 days, sometimes 120 days. And and depending on what the charges are, but they do suspend your license for a DUI. So, so did there was you... no way he could have got his license. But now they look it up 18 years later and discover he's got a driver's license in California. So in order for him to get his driver's license back, we have to pay first Alaska. We have to pay them. How much do you have to pay uh, California as well for them to reinstate? No. No? Oh, yeah, yeah. You we do. have to pay the state of yeah. California $55. Right. We have to pay JSAP, which was the treatment program that he paid the $500 for. We have to pay them $125. And we have to pay the state of Alaska wow. $500. This is 18 years ago. This is, uh, it's just a yet another example of how the government is extracting as much money as they possibly can get away with from people. It doesn't matter to them what your financial situation is. It doesn't matter to them that people are having a tough time today, especially out in California, uh, where the economy is less than wonderful. And it doesn't, none of that stuff matters. They need to get their money and they will do whatever it takes if that means inconveniencing you and, and possibly, I don't know if you have kids, but making this, uh, making your life as difficult as it, as it can be. I mean, do you just have the money to where you can cut these checks? And well, if so. Yeah, luckily we have a, a business that we've been having since 2005, but we were going to buy a house. We were in the process of buying a house and, you know, oh, wow. you need money to, to move into a, a new house. So that just set us back and, you know, we could have been paying $800 a month for a house, a foreclosed home, but instead we're stuck paying $1,500 a month renting. Mm. And you know, yeah, they... this is very reminiscent of national ID. The states contacting each other and getting all this information. There's mm-hmm. no, you know, they're all. It's all becoming like one system. It seems like yeah, they're working together, scratching each other's backs to see how much money they can get from people. I mean, if if people will pay for these things, then they know other people will pay, and they know they can just keep raising the rates, and they can just keep getting people to to pony up because nobody wants to be without a car, and everybody knows what'll what'll happen eventually if they keep driving around without the state dri- driver's license. Eventually, right. some cop's going to pull you over, and you're going to go to a jail cell. Most people yep. don't want that to happen, so they pay up. Well, I'm sorry to hear your story. I, I wish you uh, the best of luck. It sounds like you guys are going to pay up and try to get on with your lives, huh? Yeah, we have to. We have kids. and Yep. Mm-hmm. So. That's okay, how it, thank crazy. You for That's how it happens. That's how it works. And I'm sorry. Again, yeah, that's all I can do is listen, and, and I can empathize with you, and I, I thank you for sharing the story because it's not an uncommon one. In fact, we've heard stories like this a lot over the years we've been doing the show, and I, I'm sure it just scratches the surface. We were in this courtroom today here in Keene, New Hampshire, in uh, district court. They had some meeting about how the New Hampshire state government's trying to restructure the courts. It was just some boring uh, political meeting, but some of us went there uh, today anyway. And one of the things that the lady who runs the Superior Court said, it was very interesting. This was the only interesting part. Uh, <laughs> what she said was, that they have over 200,000 cases per year. And I think this might have been across New Hampshire. Over 200,000 cases per year. And she said, business is great. And she used the term business a few times when she was uh, giving her little, her little presentation. And it was just interesting watching them. 
and watching them behave as though what they were doing was a consensual like they were talking about the people that come to the courts like their clients and i know some of them could be voluntarily coming in there to bring a case but i can guarantee you the majority and they of the have people, no choice of anywhere else to go in our you know not, there's that in many that's, cases that's true it's the monopoly provider there's no doubt about that but the majority of those 200,000 cases are people that absolutely would have rather been somewhere else who were uh, forced to come in there by the police for, in many cases, consensual crimes. Drug possession, uh, open alcohol possession, stuff like that is probably the bulk of these 200,000 cases. And for her to just just stand there and say, business is great, and just beam about how many lives, because that's their business. It's ruining people's lives. That uh, that business is just absolutely great. And that's what it's about. It's about ringing the cash register and bringing the, uh, the, the it would essentially lower cr- uh, class people, for lack of a better term, people who are living in trailer parks and driving around beat up cars, people that they can't certainly can't afford an attorney and they don't know their rights. These are the kinds of people that are victimized by the government system because a lot of them and even if they do have a little bit of money like uh, the folks we were just talking to maybe they're business owners they know that hey they've got a family to take care of they got a mortgage they, to pay when they say 200,000 people a year they're saying that that's 200,000 people every year just in the state of New Hampshire who are criminals on some level to them that they're you know that's that's what's the, you know that this idea that we're the freest country in the world and and we prosecute this many people, even for little things, whatever it is. I mean, just that we spend well, we that most, much effort on. We yeah. have the most people in prison, too. I mean, it's yeah. little things and big things. So I just found that kind of interesting. I, I wanted to share that. That's their viewpoint on things is that, hey, this is business. Business is good. And uh, they've got guaranteed business because men with guns are running around down the streets, pulling people and throwing them in the backs of uh, police cars and charging them with things like marijuana possession. And, and new laws are good for business. It, that's <laughs> it's certainly the way it works. 800-259-9231. Speaking of marijuana, the raids are continuing in California by the federal government. More coming up. Free Talk Live. This is Free Talk Live. You bring up anything, just dial in toll-free, 800-259-9231. That is the SACL CAI toll-free line, and it's Ian here with you. And Dale. And Mark. You can join us online at freetalklive.com, all the features we give away. So enjoy those. Uh, freetalklive.com features include, by the way, live streams, shrine of female listeners, and more, all free for you at freetalklive.com. We continue with your phone calls. We'll tell you about the marijuana raids here in a little bit. Uh, but first, we'll talk to Stephen in Colorado. Stephen, you're on Free Talk Live. Hey there. Uh, I missed a bunch of shows for a while, and I, I don't know if you guys covered the peanut factory thing that happened with these contaminated peanuts, peanut not, products or whatever. Certainly not in detail. What did you have to say about it? Well, I used to actually work in a food processing plant. Uh, we processed fish. You know that fake crab stuff? Uh, it's called surimi. Um, we actually made that. <clears throat> Excuse me. And, okay. Um, I worked there for five years, and we had our own inspectors, QC inspectors, and uh, they would go around and basically swab various surfaces throughout the factory every day uh, and then cure them in, I mean, I don't know how that stuff works, Petri dishes or whatever, and if they found any, uh, any E. coli or anything like that, they would immediately, and this happened actually once in the five years that I worked there, they actually did find some E. coli. Hmm. What they did was they stopped production at that very moment, stopped everything, and they threw away all of the product that was in the factory at that time, 
uh, you know, it, that's a great cost, of course, but not yeah. nearly as great a cost as if they had poisoned their own customers. Sure. <laughs> uh, and they spent three solid days steam cleaning every single surface in the entire factory. Wow. And then all employees, including me, and I was a maintenance guy, I was an electrical guy, electrical technician, mm-hmm. uh, all of us had to attend a uh, a one-day class, eight hours, on, um, you know, basically, you know, Clean, making sure that you're clean after you go do your business in, in the toilet. Well, that means that and, that beats uh, the heck out of getting steam cleaned. I can tell you, eight hours <laughs> in a class. How often did that happen? Uh, it happened one single time in the five years that I was there, and that's because okay. our factory was meticulously clean. Uh, I guess the point that I'm trying to make is that, yeah, okay, this peanut factory, this bad thing did happen there. They, they did get some contaminated product, and apparently it was it was a, a systemic problem throughout the company. However, this is not the norm, and and with no oversight of any governmental body whatsoever, we were able to protect our the food that we went out uh, that went out of our factory. And the reason why, obviously, is because some stupid ten thousand dollar fine or whatever it was pales in comparison to the millions of dollars that my that the company would have lost had we sent out contaminated products. I so think it's you're, the free market at work, basically. Yeah, but, there's no doubt about that. I mean, nobody wants to to kill their customers. Though, wasn't the allegation in the peanut butter case that they were aware that it was going out tainted and that they didn't yes, care about I, I, it? I believe that was it. And also, I think that uh, well, from what I hear, I should say it this way: from what I from what I heard of of the story, yeah, this peanut company had hired uh, outside inspectors to come in, outside QC quality control inspectors to come in. And the company came back and said, this place is filthy. You know, there's roach feces or whatever Mm -hmm. everywhere. Uh, And um, so they fired that QC company because they didn't like the results they were getting back. Hired another one, and the the other one came back saying pretty much the same thing. Uh, And and I guess they just kept firing these companies until they got one that told them what they wanted to hear. That's crazy. Uh, Yeah. So it's, it's, like I said, this, having worked in the processing industry for quite some time i i know that that was an aberration and that it is in fact the the uh, the free market and fear of failure that keeps uh most of these companies uh clean you know it, even if they uh, did go out of business uh, even if they in in the case of the company that we're talking about the peanut uh, company it's still the free market at work because if a if a company opens up and says we're gonna uh, we, we're gonna do this as cheaply as possible we don't care if there's roach feces and e coli mm-hmm. around our food we're gonna do it and that company gets sued by people who get hurt or um you know that consume the food or whatever and a huge class action uh, lawsuit comes after uh, comes after them and the the people that made these decisions are held responsible because that's really the problem today is that, well, there's corporations and the corporations shield the people that make these decisions from uh, from you know real lawsuits that can affect yeah. them and their families. Um, if those people are held responsible, then you'll, what you'll see is, well, other businesses will go, wow, sure don't want that happening to me. We better be careful. Yeah, that's that's a good point. Because of the, the limited liability of corporations, those guys are completely insulated from any sort of consequences. It's just, okay, well, we're going to shut the business down. And so the business has to pay whatever the costs are right. the individuals. And you uh, said don't. you said that they there's that threat of millions of dollars of losses if people actually get sick versus a ten thousand dollar silly ten thousand dollar fine. But but as usual, government gets credit for anything that works. You know, oh, yeah. when, when the economy's great, we're giving credit to our politicians. When the economy's horrible, we're it's buying, the market's problem. Yeah, it's the market. Market did it. That's right, exactly. Well, and then now, what what got me thinking about this now? I I've called him before, and I've told the guys that uh, I, I used to be a left liberal Democrat, 
And and what got me thinking about this whole free market business and maybe this maybe this thing does work is the the Jack in the Box um, thing that happened in Seattle back in the mid nineties. What was that? And they uh, well they had E. coli and uh, some people died and one little girl uh, oh. she's actually now an adult now she uh, has permanent uh, brain damage from E. coli which I mean I, I'm no medical person I didn't know that could happen but it did mm. happen with her and uh, they and, you know they. The thing came out and it hit the press and Jack in the Box, you know, immediately shut down and did, you know, uh, basically the same thing that my company did, educating the employees and cleaning the joint up, making sure it was clean. And about three or four months later, the government levied some, you know, $15,000 fine or something like that. And <laughs> of course, the, lo- the local media just ran to this Jack in the Box place. You know, they, they, they ran at high speed there and stuck microphones in this manager's face and said, what do you think about this? This fine that has been levied against you, and he said, "Listen, that is a drop in the bucket compared to the millions of dollars that, that this company has lost due to the bad press uh, from this E. coli, you know, disaster, this this tragedy." And what does the fine and, do anyway? The fine doesn't do it; doesn't go to the victims. Right. The fine goes to exactly. the government bureaucracy. Gets, yeah, who gets that money? And so uh, the and that's what got me thinking. That was maybe that was that first initial spark that hey, maybe this liberty thing has something to it. But people all. will use the the peanut butter story as an example to argue against the marketplace. They'll say, "See, this is a market failure." And that's what we, that's what they teach in go, in government schools is that, well, the government is needed to correct market failures because the market right. isn't perfect and so therefore we need the government to fill in the gaps. And on its yeah. surface it sounds like a it sounds like a reasonable argument. Like who could deny if in the let's let's say that all the claims are true about this peanut butter company and that they really were knowledgeable about letting this poisonous peanut butter out their doors uh who could look at that and say well yeah they should be allowed to do that certainly nobody would would in any way be pleased with that situation but when Mm -hmm. you look at it from a wider perspective and you look at the marketplace the food marketplace in general it is a very safe place it is a very safe market. I mean, you're dealing Absolutely. with uh, with products that can go bad and beca- can become very dangerous, can be contaminated, and you've got thousands upon thousands of products in any given uh, grocery store that are packaged in a variety of different ways, and you know some of them are uh, more perishable than others. But the the fact is, the marketplace appropriately allocates these resources and it gets safe products to the end consumer 99.999% of the time. There's one case here and then, you know, there's the occasional other case that'll pop up of some company that got caught doing something naughty. They're going to pay the price and they would pay the price in a free marketplace because of social ostracism and business ostracism. I mean, if you're if you're Walmart and you're looking at different peanut butter vendors, do you want to bring the peanut butter vendor on your shelves that that got caught oh, for yeah. having E. coli? No. Yeah, exactly. So, there are far more cases of food poisoning originate out of home kitchens than in, yeah. than in restaurants. Absolutely. Home kitchens are far dirtier than, than a restaurant kitchen. But it's the restaurants right. that get the blame for it when restaurants somebody gets Restaurants are cleaned sick. every day. Uh, most people yeah, well, don't clean their own. They don't even – they reuse their old sponges forever on their on – their, they, they clean their countertops once a week maybe some, mm-hmm. in a lot of places and – and uh, uh, in most cases, of food poisoning are coming from the home. Very, very few actually right. come from restaurants. So a well, lot of restaurants get blamed for it, though. If I can just throw one more thing yeah. in really quick, if, if the the ignorance of of it uh, of the average person's mindset with regards to this whole uh, food poisoning issue is that if not for the government, we would be so stupid. Uh, you, you know, the average person would be so dumb that we would return to a restaurant and recommend that restaurant to our friends, 
even though that <laughs> restaurant had sickened us in the past. Thank you, Steve. Yes. Thank, thank God for the government that would prevent us from going there and harming ourselves by by frequenting a, a place that is known to poison its customers. Right, and they would have you believe, and thank you for the call, Stephen, they would also have you believe that it's because of the government that the market is so safe. It's because of all the regulations. But despite whatever regulations there are, that company was still unsafe. They were doing something unsafe. So, of course, that usually leads the status to say, well, we just need more regulations. We need to hire more bureaucrats, you know, five new bureaucrats for every manufacturing company to be there uh, at all times to, man- you know, to mandate this and to mandate that, as though that's going to solve the problem. And all that will do will increase the cost to the end consumer of these products. And as we've seen from so many health inspectors that are just lazy and shiftless and they don't really do their jobs very well, it would be wasted money. And people would still end up getting sick, which of course would be call for more regulations. More on the way. Hour two's coming up. You bring up anything. This is Free Talk Live. This program is brought to you by Freekeen.com. Freekeen.com features audio, video, and blogs chronicling the transition to a voluntary society. Freekeen.com also has comments and discussion forums so you can be heard. Freekeen.com. This is Free Talk Live. We're launching into hour number two of the program. You bring up whatever you want. Just dial in toll-free at 800-259-9231. That is the SACL CAI toll-free line, and it's Ian here with you. And Dale. And Mark. And you can join us online at freetalklive.com. All the features are free, so enjoy those on us. Again, that is freetalklive.com. The Institute for Humane Studies is offering 12 different seminars this summer in locations across the country. Participation is free. The IHS covers meals and housing. Seminars are for those simply curious about libertarian philosophy to those passionate about liberty. Um, These 12-week-long seminars are in locations from Chicago, Boston, Berkeley, Philadelphia, D.C., and more. Go to libertarianseminars.com. The deadline is March the 31st. It's libertarianseminars.com. All right, as we continue with your phone calls, still to come here, uh, we'll talk about how Canadian health care, the socialist system, may actually have contributed to the death of that famous actress lady that died out on the ski slopes. We'll get to that, but first, your calls. Mary is on the line in Missouri. Mary, you're on Free Talk Live. Hi. I didn't realize you guys were talking about that. I just tuned in. Um, uh, I respect you guys' views on the situation, and um, I just had to bury my grandson mm. that was 18 days old today. Oh, oh my God. God. Sorry to hear that. And I, that's why I was calling about, I respect you guys' views on this, but what can they do to change the health care system? My daughter was on Medicaid, and and... And I, they just took that baby too early. They rushed her into labor. You know, the baby was only five pounds something when he arrived. Mm. And they made the decision. Uh, the the government bureaucrats essentially made the decision to put her into uh, labor. You know, that's the only thing I can think of because my mom and I both was in there, and we told that doctor it's too soon. I mean, when I delivered her. Sure, it was normal for a woman to go one or two weeks over. You know, it wasn't like a well, we're going to sit there and try to induce labor and force you to come, force the baby to come out. And she went at six o'clock uh, on a Thursday night, and they rushed her to the um, to have a C-section because they said the baby was in distress. And I'm sorry, I just think it was all because she was on Medicaid. And I'm so sad about this, and I want to take action, but I don't know what to do. And I thought maybe you or your listeners could help me find out what I need to do to help. This never happens to get to somebody. It's it's really awful. 
Um, you know, it, it, it seems to me that uh, our, our medical system has, uh, has, has come to this point. I've, I've noticed that, um, you know, my wife was pregnant a year ago, and she has lots of friends that are pregnant. She's much more interested in this pregnancy thing now that uh, she's had a baby. And, uh, you know, a lot of her friends that go to regular doctors are having this happen. Um, it seems like, you know, the doctors, the AMA, the, uh, you know, the government-supported union out there, have this thing about not letting babies go over. And I don't know what it is. My wife was... Uh, late and she had a she had a midwife and so you know she was able to bring the baby to term he's ha- he's happy and healthy but um you know and, and this is awful i don't know that that's the reason that the the baby um you know passed away and it's it's really it's it's tragic but you know when these doctors was, are rushing him to rushing these ladies into to labor well when he was born he was only five pounds and two ounces that's light and when they took him to the pediatrician the nurse and the pediatrician both said, he's a preemie. Why wasn't he uh, remanded to the hospital, you know, like an incubator? And mm. and my mom said she didn't know what to say. Mm. I, I just, don't know what to say either. I mean, the, it's, it's a stunning story. It's it's horrific. And what you're asking, what you could possibly do about it? Yes. there's. You know, I'm, I'm a little bit intelligent, and I, I have a, a college education, which I don't know how much that means, but... I want to know how to rally to, uh, if I, I don't, I know that you guys aren't big into government, I understand that. Well, if I have to pick it out in front of somebody's office or something, this is ridiculous that our medical system is like that. Poor people get poor medical care? No, that's. That shouldn't like it be. Well, soon everybody's going to get poor medical care because they're planning on putting the government 100% in charge of uh, medical care, which is only going to make things worse. It's going to and it's going to drive. Awful? Mm. I know that. See, when you're on Medicaid, you're with the government. You know, I understand that this is horrible. Mm. I don't know. I wish maybe some of your listeners could tell me how to petition to rally. What I need to do. I mean, I'm willing to do anything. I just anybody don't know can where call to start. and respond here. I don't know if there are med. I imagine there are probably Medicare attorneys out there. There are likely lawyers that will specialize in the Medicare system, and they could take a look at this for you, probably, and give you some idea. Because if you're looking to get something out of the system, I don't know if you're looking for financial uh no 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 no, no i just want it to change i don't care well about that now you're that talking point. about a tall order like a financial yeah. settlement would have been possible uh but now you're talking about changing the system itself uh but Ian, i wonder you if you have an impact Ian, can i ask you something don't yeah. you always i listen to you guys all the time at Thank work you. don't you say on your show that i know change is a big deal but doesn't somebody have to take the first step out there Absolutely. to make the change? I think a settlement is has an impact on things like that. When they, when it hits them in the pocketbook, that's when they they are more inclined to make smart deci- smart long term decisions instead of the I'm easy short term decision. Yeah, I'm with Dale on that. Because to change the the Medicare system, you would have to essentially lobby Congress, wouldn't you? I mean, you'd have to go through the same oh, old process. Everybody else. I wouldn't bother else. with that. I can't even imagine. Like, right. It's 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 being... beyond your reach. I mean, hiring an attorney is expensive enough, but going and lobbying Congress to change these rules so this doesn't happen in the future. I mean, it's not going to necessarily prevent it from happening. People may still make you know the doctors may still make these decisions with or without Medicare as a factor. I don't know. Again, we're not sure exactly how Medicare was a factor. Maybe they encourage people to maybe they maybe Medicare mandates that uh, they have the babies on time or, or that they well, didn't put the child in, in an incubator because I, I wonder I've what been, costs are incurred by not having it um, well, on time. Can I tell you something? Yes, I know for a fact I've lived through this before. Back a long time ago, before I had a good job in insurance, private insurance, 
I broke my ankle. And, I mean, I shattered it, and they had to put pins in place on it. And they operated the next day. I went there like at 7 o'clock, and they operated on it. The next day, they shoved me out the door, and they wouldn't even let me take my gown with me, my hospital gown. Now, when I broke my hip and I had private insurance, oh, my gosh. Oh, I was in there four days. Oh, do you want more, you know, more days in here? I was like, no, I want to go home. I had a private nurse and a private therapist come in every day. I mean, you're just treated so different. And I, and I know. I just, I just at this point, I just don't know what to do. I guess I'm still just grieving, and oh, yeah. but that's definitely would, still happening. Yeah, I would just like to do something. I mean, I'm the type of person that I don't want to sit around and cry and grieve. I want to do something. If I could move up there, I would. Do you guys? I mean, could you get me a job as a computer tech? <laughs> as a computer tech? I don't know. Yeah. There's there are a lot of technical industry jobs up here in New Hampshire. Of course, oh, a lot really? of the, a lot of free staters are also IT related people. But oh wow! Uh, but the uh, the New Hampshire economy has a lot of tech uh, sector jobs, from what I understand, especially down in uh, Nash, the Nashua area. And so, you know, obviously we can't get you jobs. We're a radio show no, host. No, it's I not understand. our it's no, not our I'll gig. But it, but you can. You can go to freestateproject.org, and they have a whole section of their website dedicated and their forum dedicated to posting jobs that are available oh. and, and kind of collecting the various different job websites so people can get up here. Because I agree that the Free State Project's probably the best chance you've got. I mean, if you want to lobby Congress, you know, that's going to cost a whole lot of money and probably isn't going to result in anything significant changing, even right. if anything does ever change. And you're talking about dedicating the rest of your life to trying to change a few rules of the Medicare system, because I can guarantee you going in and lobbying Congress to abolish Medicare and abolish government involvement in health care isn't likely going to be too well received because there are a lot of right. government bureaucrats that are you know making money off of that system. So I think that secession is probably the best way to at least restore good health care to one place, and that could be here in New Hampshire, because if we can cut our ties to the federal government, then uh, th- then there are, all of those regulations go away and people can innovate in health care. Oh and there's no doubt that all of the, subsidi- uh, the subsidi- subsidization that that the government is doing of Medicare, Medicare right now, of medical care right now, of Medicaid and mm-hmm. Medicare and right. the military uh, medical care and all the all that all that is making health care higher for everyone else and all the regulations that they impose on it that make, raises costs massively and opens up all kinds of uh, avenues for people to sue sue their doctors for trivial mistakes and things like that and all that's making the the healthcare costs higher for everyone else well, who knows? raising insurance I, I, rates I'm gonna and I'm going to go online and read more about your free state project and who knows you might see me up there as an IT tech somewhere and, hope to I hope to I do mean, that if, if I could just get out and rally with you guys and this and that I'm just more than happy to do that well. because that would be great, Mary. Look into that suit, Mary. I think that that's in the, sh- in the short term what you can do now. A Medicare, some sort of Medicare attorney, some attorney yeah, that specializes like that. in that. That's something you want to look at, too. But, yeah, freestateproject.org. Okay, Hope to see you here. Keep up the fight. Thank <laughs> you. I don't like to consider it a fight, though. 800-259-9231. We're just approaching the inevitable voluntary society. We won't have to fight too hard. It's Free Talk Live. This is Free Talk Live. You dial in, bring up whatever you want. Toll-free number 800-259-9231. That's the SACL CAI toll-free line. You can join us on our website at freetalklive.com. All the features we give away, so enjoy those, including the Shrine of Female listeners, the dozens of ladies who've taken the time to send us their validated photo. To prove they listen to the show, head over to shrine.freetalklive.com and see what it's all about. It's free, shrine.freetalklive.com. The bureaucrats undermine your right to bear arms. Now they're taxing your bottled water. That's right, water. 
Log on to enjoybottledwater.org and tell them enough is enough. Sign the petition fighting taxes and regulations on bottled water. After all, if they can tax water, what will they do next? It's enjoybottledwater.org, and I would encourage you to go sign that petition. CEI is uh, the organization who's putting it on, and they've been very good to us. Please sign it. So uh, I want to continue here on this health care topic since I've got a story about the actress lady that died recently. Natasha Richardson uh, was real big in the news over the past uh, – I, I think it was on the last week when it went down. She essentially had a skiing accident. But just a few more thoughts on our last caller. And if anybody does have any ideas for Mary in Missouri who just had a tragic situation uh, involving an 18-day-old baby uh, passing away after being delivered what arguably was too early – uh, and she points out that it was it possibly was Medicare and their rules and regulations that mandated that this baby be delivered early. And, of course, she wants to do something about it. But what can you do besides bring a suit against them or go and, and supplicate yourself and beg in front of the politicos in Washington, D.C. to get them to somehow change the program to where they won't do that in the in the future? I mean, it's a the, the lawsuit thing is certainly a, a more viable option the begging and trying to change the system is a very expensive option and she pointed out in the very end of her call that uh, you know keep up the fight is what she said and I, I just wanted to expand uh, expound on that just a little bit i i feel like if we fight we're going to lose i think that in order to achieve the voluntary society we basically just have to we just have to act like it's like we're expecting it to happen. We have to uh, fake it till we make it, sort of, uh, if you will. And and I think that one of the ways we can do that is by gathering people together into the same place and having those people just start living free. And if those people start living free, then other people will see them living free and they'll want to join them. And then when the government people who aren't used to this whole living free thing decide to come after some of the people that are trying to live free, then the others will you know will surround them and make life very difficult for. Those government people, but but I don't see any of that is as fighting the government. No, the behemoth is too big to fight. You can't take it on head on. I think the behemoth really is us. We are participating. We're obeying when we're told to obey, and we're filing our taxes every yep. year, and we're signing up for selective service, and we're going and paying our car registration every year, and we're going and doing our driver's license every year, and when we're told to pay a ticket we do it and yep. we we basically just go along with it and it's a revenue collection they collect our they loot us cons- consistently it's the best racket that you can imagine i mean it's the greatest they scam have, ever they yeah. have epitome they have they have uh what they've done is they've um perfected slavery and made us you know go right along with it they don't have to crack the whip hardly ever every now and then just kind of set an example but mm-hmm. for the most part they we all just go along with it we're all cogs in the machine and the moment we just stop like the cog it just stops it jams up the whole thing and it doesn't take very many people to do that and it's and i don't you're, i think you're exactly right we can't fight it we don't go attack it we just stop we just stop obeying and stop being cogs in the machine and uh and i don't think it can keep working it can't it's it's it, it takes such massive compliance it takes near 100 percent compliance yeah i think one keep going the way it is i think one percent would be enough i think oh, yeah. uh i think it, we live in a place where there are twenty five thousand people so one percent is 250 is 250 people uh that's not an unreasonable amount of people to gather together i mean we're already i would say over 20 people here in keen oh, i'm uh, looking just, at a place like keen on this scale i don't even think it would take one percent you probably, I don't. I mean, that's you know. 
You're it probably would, that right. would definitely be quite an impact. But right. I don't well, think I mean, we don't know. That. We've never done this before, right? right. So I mean, we can't say <laughs> right. for sure. But uh, but I mean, either way, any amount of non-cooperation and and non-participation in their system and laughing at them and making fun of their system and and just doing everything you possibly can to live life as free as you as you can and not abiding by as many of their rules as you can avoid abiding by. The, on a, when it gets to be popularized, when enough people start to do it and people start paying attention, they're going to start thinking about things in ways they've never thought of them before. And, and what that can lead to, I think, is, is pretty exciting. Uh, I think when you, when you use the term fight, I think that actually entails either violence, which I'm certainly not in favor of, or using the system, you know, you, going within their rules. Like in a boxing ring, you know, there are certain rules you have to play by, but you're fighting the, uh, the opponent. And if you're using their system, then you are essentially engaging in a, con- a conflict-like activity. And it's one where they, they make the rules as they go, and they're the referees, right. and uh, yeah. it's, it's <laughs> their game, and it sure it's is hopeless trying to fight that game. <laughs> so I think that we need to embrace more than fight, I guess is what I'm trying to say, and kill them with kindness, so to speak. Yeah. Um, I, was, I told you I was at this court thing today, which was just incredibly dull. I, I had to leave because I had an appointment, thank goodness. <laughs> Uh, but they were talking about moving courts around here in New Hampshire, and Judge Burke was there, who is the uh, the judge here in the Keene, New Hampshire area. He's the guy that yelled at me when I was in the, uh, their court on the the couch situation where my tenants were in jail, and he threw me in jail for uh, for 93 days. And he was he was not in his costume today. He was dressed up as uh, as any normal uh, you know guy would be dressed up at a meeting like this. He was uh, wearing a suit coat and a, and a tie. And he likely wears that to, to work every day, and then puts the dress puts on the dress on in his in his chamber. Yeah. Sure. So uh, so I approached uh, old Judge Burke and uh, I stuck out my hand. I, sh- I shook his uh, shook his hand, and I uh, you know I essentially invited him out to lunch. You know, and, oh really? I didn't know yeah. that. So uh, he said I'd have to talk to the clerk about that, though. So I don't know if it's actually going to end up. <laughs> have happening. your people talk to my people, Ian. But he, well, you know, that's basically what it was. He uh, he was not he was not nasty. Uh, he was not in his judge role. You know, he was just appearing as uh, Edward Burke, and so he was kind of a, had a different demeanor about him, and he seemed relatively friendly toward the idea. Uh, is it going to make any drastic changes having a conversation with him over lunch? I don't know. But it can't hurt, right? Just, no, just I think sit it's down a great idea. And talk to these people. I think that the, the, the discussions we've had with the bureaucrats here in Keene, I think, have been pretty positive. I don't, you know, obviously the system hasn't broken down based on having uh, chats at, over coffee with these folks. But I think, I think the it, few people that have been non-participatory have uh, already made massive ripples in this community. So that's why I say, you know, uh, 1% here seems massive. <laughs> right, and I think that there, I think there's, there's, some value in communicating with these folks because what that's what we have to do we have to bring people on board we have to bring regular people on board and ideally some of these government people should be introduced to the ideas of liberty and given the opportunity to uh to understand them and accept them and and come to uh to embrace them as their own and, and i think we should be good neighbors very public we should be making an effort to be good neighbors that's what we're all talking about when we're talking about a voluntary society i mean you yourself said why don't we go why doesn't the lady who had a problem with your couch Come over and politely ask you and say, look, it bothers me. I think it makes the neighborhood look bad or whatever. Could you please move it? And you probably would have moved it in a heartbeat. That's what I Here's, promised you to do. Yeah, yeah. You, you, yeah and you said as much. If, if she would just come and politely ask me, I'll move it. That's all you asked. And, and, uh, 
And what's happened is we're, we're bad neighbors because of government. And I think we could we should start putting our money where our mouth is and example. actually try to be good neighbors. Yeah. To and and make you know we want other key well, be residents neighbors. to like us being here. Be better neighbors than the right. government is to people. The government's not very nice. They're threatening people. They're hurting people. They're throwing innocent people in prison cells. We're not doing any of that, and we're not blowing. We're about things to start up. doing uh, litter pickups and some volunteer work in right town, the, the so. community kitchen and things like that. And that's all. That's great news. Eight hundred two five nine ninety two thirty one. So we've got to set the example of what we want society to be like. More coming up. You can bring up whatever you want. This is Free Talk Live. You ever have one of those days where everything goes right? First, I get the best parking space at work. Tonight, I have a date with a very lovely Rachel. And today, I gave a killer presentation in Sydney. Finalized the contract in London and demoed our new product in Boston. Online, from my desk, with WebEx. WebEx lets me take meetings and give presentations from my desk. I just talk to clients on the phone, and they watch what's happening on my desktop from their desktop. So I can travel the world and still be here for my date tonight with Rachel. Travel less, meet online. Go to WebEx.com and try WebEx free. Just click the radio graphic and enter promo code 600 to get a free trial and a free webcam, too. Remember that code 600 to qualify for the free webcam. WebEx, now part of Cisco and used by more than 5.5 million people every month. Give it a try, free. Go to WebEx.com and enter the promo code 600. WebEx.com. Free webcams available while supplies last. Terms and restrictions apply. See website for details. This is Free Talk Live. You dial toll-free and bring up whatever you want. 800-259-9231. That is the SACL CAI toll-free line. Ian here with you. And Dale. And Mark. Join us online at freetalklive.com. Features free. Enjoy them on us, including updates. You get signed up. We will clue you in whenever there's something you need to know about Free Talk Live. Head over to updates.freetalklive.com. Get on the list free. That's updates.freetalklive.com. If you're concerned about privacy on the Internet, uh, when it comes to your email, privacyharbor.com offers a product that, uh, well, it's like email. It looks and acts like email. It's it's new technology. E- email is a, you know, a very old technology um, in Internet years, at least. Go to privacyharbor.com and sign up for a free account today because normal email is not secure. Privacyharbor.com. So this, uh, we're going to continue with your phone calls. That's what the show is about. We'll talk to Ziggy in the U.K. across the pond. Ziggy, you're on Free Talk Live. Hi, guys. Hey. Hi. Um, very quickly on Natasha Richardson. Before the body was cold, there was a safety Nazi on the radio here going, if you wore a ski helmet, none of this would have happened. <laughs> yeah, but she wore a ski helmet. Under the chaos theory, she could have caused a tornado in Kansas. But never mind okay, about that. I suppose. Well, this is a <laughs> hurricane uh, triggered by butterflies' wings. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> anyway, anyways, um, I, uh, I, I uh, posted, a, uh, uh, I emailed a link to Mark earlier today, and I think he was quite shocked. The Anti-Defamation League is class, classing uh, tax protesters as extremists. They've got a whole page on it. Mm. Yeah, I, uh, I have the article sitting here in front of me. It's it really is a whole page too. It's it's uh, very long, uh, you know. And the Anti Defamation League, who's at the top of their website saying to stop the defamation of Jewish people to secure justice and fair treatment for all, has on their page under extremism in America the tax protest movement. Probably because there are a handful of racists that have protested taxes in the past. Likely. There's over a million people protesting taxes for one reason or another. So that means, like, that's about, uh, what, uh, 300 million people in America, one million. That's uh, about a third of a percent of the people are extremists. Yeah, but I, I, right. I have no idea what the numbers are. I know that there must be Jewish uh, <laughs> racists, too. I think that's the low I end, mean, actually. But this is following on from that 
uh, list which was issued in Missouri with uh, the Ron Paul supporters mm-hmm. and various other groups. Trying oh, to yeah. lump it all extremists in the same, you know, folder, basically. Yep, people, are, could, people are protesting taxes for different reasons, too. It's not all just like being sure, against exactly. tax. Some of them it's being against the war and not wanting to pay for it, so things like that. Yeah, I wonder if the, the, the anti-war tax protesters are actually paying now. I wonder how they feel about old Obama continuing the fight there in Afghanistan, in fact, yeah, upping needs, the troops. He needs to take a math, math, uh, math test. 50,000 isn't zero, and he promised zero. Yeah. Promises, schmomises. Thanks, He's Dave, president for the call. now. Screw you. Yeah, thank you, sir. 800-259-9231. Well, that's basically what's going on with the uh, the marijuana situation. We'll, t- we'll cover that when we get a chance. But here's a story from the New York Post about this Natasha Richardson, uh, apparently an actress. She had a, uh, according to the Post, there, her tragic death could have been prevented if her accident had occurred in America rather than in Canada. Canadian healthcare de-emphasizes widespread dissemination of technology like CT scanners and quick access to specialists like neurosurgeons. Now, when you hear them talk about how great their system is, because remember, they teach in schools in Canada that their system is wonderful. And so a lot of young people who don't get sick very often right. are very quick to tout, well, our system is just great. Canada's great. It's free health care. And you'd think, well, free? That means you've got access to all this great health care equipment. But it turns out that because it's the government system and they don't have any incentive to provide good health care, but it they is They only free. have to satisfy a, a, a large majority. And most people will go through their entire life without any major health care problem. Right. So most people and so don't know. most people will think the system's great. They went in when they need to see a doctor and got some pills for their for their minor illness and yeah. their, their antibiotics and they didn't have to wait that long. They got to see a, a generic doctor and and they and they or they get their their prescription that they need on a regular basis or their broken what, bone or something yeah. like that. I mean, these are the kinds of things that you know, you know the, your average doctor can do a good job with. But and, good luck getting a neurosurgeon. Uh, Richardson died of an epidural hematoma, a bleeding artery between the skull and brain that compresses and ultimately causes fatal brain damage via pressure buildup. With prompt diagnosis by a CT scan and surgery to drain the blood, most patients survive. Could Richardson have received this care? Were it in uh, where it happened in Canada, rather? No. In many U.S. resorts, however, yes. Between noon and 1 p.m., Richardson sustained what appeared to be a trivial head injury while skiing at Mount Tremblant in Quebec. Within minutes, she was offered medicinal or rather medical assistance, but declined to be seen by paramedics. But this delay is common in the early stages of epidural hematoma when patients have few symptoms. And there is reason to believe her case wasn't beyond hope at that point. She probably just seemed a little stunned after taking a fall. About three hours after the accident, the actress was taken to the Centre Hospitalier Laurentienne <laughs> in Saint-Agathe-des-Monde, uh, Saint 25 miles from the resort. Hospital spokesman Alan Paquette said she was conscious upon reaching the hospital about 4 p.m. The initial paramedic assessment, travel time to the hospital and time she spent there, was nearly two hours, the crucial interval in this case. Survival rates for patients with epidural hematomas conscious on arrival to a hospital are good. Richardson's evaluation required an immediate CT scan for diagnosis, followed by either a complete removal of accumulated blood by a neurosurgeon or a procedure by a trauma surgeon or emergency physician to relieve the pressure and allow her to be transported. But the hospital in Canada is the town of, or the town in Canada is of 9,000 people. Its hospital doesn't have specialized neurology or trauma services. It hasn't been reported whether the hospital has a CT scanner, but CT scanners are just less common in Canada, period, across the board. 
Compounding the problem, Quebec has no helicopter services to trauma centers in Montreal. That's a real problem. Richardson was transferred by ambulance to the Hospital du Sacré-Cœur, a trauma center 50 miles away in Montreal, a further delay of over an hour. So you're talking about a you know a major metro. Montreal, Canada is a major metropolitan city. Doesn't get much more major than that. They don't have a helicopter service. Wow. Because she, uh, she didn't arrive at a facility capable of treatment until six hours after the injury, in all likelihood, by that time, the pressure buildup had become fatal. The Montreal hospital could not have saved her life. Her initial refusal of medical care accounted for only part of the delay. She was still conscious when seen at a hospital, and her death might have been prevented if the hospital either had the resources to diagnose and institute temporizing therapy or air transport had taken her quickly to Montreal. Well, what would have happened if she'd fallen and hurt herself at a U.S. ski resort? Well, it obviously depends on the location and the facts, but according to a colleague who's worked at two major Colorado ski resorts, the same distance from Denver as Mount Tremblant is from Montreal, things would have likely proceeded very differently. Assuming Richardson initially declined medical care here as well, once she did present to caregivers that she was suffering from a possible head trauma, she would have been immediately transported by air, weather permitting, and arrived in Denver in less than an hour. If this weren't possible, in both resorts, she would have been seen within 15 minutes at a local facility with CT scanning and someone who could perform temporary drainage until transfer to a neurosurgeon was possible. If she were conscious at 4 p.m., she most likely have been diagnosed and treated at about that time, receiving care unavailable at the local Canadian hospital. She might have still died or suffered brain damage, but her chances of surviving would have been much greater in the United States. American medicine is often criticized for being too specialty-oriented, with hospitals duplicating too many services like CT scanners. This argument has merit, but those criticisms ignore cases where it's better to have the resources and not need them than to need the resources and not have them. And in the case of the marketplace, which, by the way, I'd like to point out, the American healthcare system is nowhere near a free market. It's a right. mostly socialized system, but there is still some private care available in America, and so some level of competition does exist between the very limited amount of hospitals that we have out there. And so because the hospitals are still competing on some level, they still have the incentive to have the equipment in their hospitals that they need, especially and, ones around ski resorts. And because they're not government-run, they're more accountable. I mean, they don't—they aren't shielded from any sort of like you know any kind of liability that would be be a lot harder to impose on a government. That's organization. true. If you so die, I think in, there's that fear of uh, yeah, fear of being sued. If you die in the the hands of the the Canadian government, then none of those hospital bureaucrats are are liable for what happened to you. It doesn't matter. You're just another uh, patient on the death list. I mean, that, that, that's at the core. That's the problem with government in general is this lack of accountability because they are this, the authority. And so there's no accountability there. 1-800-259-9231. So there's an interesting comparison between how the Natasha Richardson situation might have played out in the United States as compared to how it actually did play out tragically in Canada. But, hey, it's free. 800-259-9231. Of course, that's a lie, too. It's not free. Everybody pays for it through taxes. Free Talk Live. 
This is Free Talk Live. You can dial in toll-free and bring up whatever you want at 800-259-9231. That is the SACL CAI toll-free line. 800-259-9231. Join us on our website at freetalklive.com. Features are free, so enjoy those. Again, freetalklive.com. SACL CAI has a full-orbed approach to account recovery. It's really three companies in one. They do collections, early outbilling, and they purchase charged-off receivables. SACL knows the way they treat your customer reflects on you. Their staff is respectful. They record every call, and they have the best equipment money can buy. So your business is handled as efficiently as possible. See their banner at freetalklive.com. It's right there at the top of the page. That's SACL CAI. 800-259-9231. So the drug raids are continuing. According to San Francisco CBS 5, one week after President Barack Obama's top law enforcement officials seemed to indicate the feds would no longer raid pot clubs, DEA agents busted a marijuana facility, medical marijuana facility in San Francisco on Wednesday night. So, <laughs> how many campaign promises is this guy going to keep, right? I mean, it doesn't look like very many of them. Yeah, is anybody surprised? Not at all. I remember arguing with a guy uh, about uh, a war protester when we were we were out protesting with the war protesters in the in the square in Keene, mm-hmm. and I, I asked him. I said, "Do you really think Obama's going to get us out of out of Iraq in any reasonable time frame?" And he's like, "Oh yeah, yeah, I think so." And I said, "Well, you know, I don't I don't think he is." And and uh, what are you going to you know six you know let's say he doesn't you know six months in a year in two years in. What are you going to say? And he's like, well, you know, generals on the ground. He has to talk to generals on the ground. And he started making already excuses making already. Excuses. He's already making excuses for his guy. So Yeah, he, he was a I'm Barack Obama supporter, not an anti-war protester. Yeah. yeah, pretty much. And, of course, the medical marijuana or the marijuana decriminalization community has taken Barack Obama pretty seriously on this one. I, he was talking, the again, the, the attorney general guy, Eric Holder, I think is his name, was talking about how they were going to stop, okay, we're going to respect states' rights and we're going to stop the raids as long as they're uh, not violating state law, too. That was the, qualif- the qualifier that they put on it. All right, well, if they're violating federal law and they're not violating state law, then we're going to leave them alone. That was pretty much what they uh, what they said. And, of course... As you'll see here in a moment, they are claiming that the clinic was violating state law. So, therefore, they had full carte blanche to go in there and, and steal Should, all their pot. Shouldn't the state enforce that if that's the case? Well, that's that's what uh, you know we'll, we'll get to. But when they, they made this announcement, it sounded like, yeah, this is really progressive. They're doing the right thing here. They're helping people out in California. They're backing off as they should be doing. States' rights, blah, blah, blah. And the medical marijuana uh, people out there were, you know, cheering from the rooftops. This sounded like great news. And if it was true, then it would have been great. It would have been a step in the right direction, a small step, but a step nonetheless. But it's not true. And they have gone ahead and they've continued the raids. And is uh, what is amazing to me is that anybody could look at this and be shocked. The, the rest of the story here is that agents carry large plastic containers of marijuana plants out of Emmeline's California Cannabis Clinic in San Francisco. A small crowd of protesters formed a gauntlet outside the door, booing the agents and chanting, Our medicine is marijuana. Listen to Obama. See, Obama's still the good guy, right, to these people. Just, hey, you guys, you aren't listening to your boss. You need to go and listen to what Obama says, because, you know, he said that this wasn't going to happen anymore. <laughs> 
DEA spokesbureaucrat told CBS5 the documents regarding the raid are sealed, so the DEA was not able to give any details. One of the special agents wrote in a uh, statement that based, our, based on our investigation, we believe there are not only violations of federal law, but state law as well. And again, that was their qualifier. So the DEA believes the state law has been broken, but the media can't see the raid documents, so they don't have any idea what the allegations are. And isn't it the media's job to uh, keep the, the police honest? I mean, isn't that the, the whole Supposedly. idea of the founding documents here? But that doesn't Freedom work. The press. It doesn't work that way because the media that is too questioning of the police will not get interviews from the police in the future. And so, therefore, they have to kind of pussyfoot around and not really ask any hardball questions. Media members that actually do hardball reports against the police, exposing them are targeted by the police. Yes. Remember the story out of Miami? The, the guy, they, they pulled him over and they, they made his life a living hell. He was a reporter who was doing undercover, uh, undercover exposés on the police. <laughs> they went after that guy and the station fired him. Mm. Because they didn't, whoa, <laughs> this guy may be a great reporter, and he was. Because it was a great report, he found out essentially that these uh, government bureaucrats uh, were just awful and corrupt and they weren't taking people's complaints and they don't even have complaint forms and all this stuff. He found all this information, great reporter, but he was too good because he was getting a real story against the most criminal gang in existence, and that is the government. So that couldn't be allowed to stand. Anyway, Emma Lins has a provisional permit from the city, according to spokesperson for the San Francisco Department of Public Health. Before which, you go on, yes, um, sir. now, California is one of uh, 13 states, hopefully 14 soon. New Hampshire has passed the uh, medical marijuana out of the house, and mm-hmm. maybe it'll go somewhere. If not, it's still a great thing that it just went out of the house. The governor pledged to veto it, as I recall. Yeah, um, but either way, so they, um, you know, there's 13 states out there. How come we only ever hear about raids on dispensaries in California? Are there not dispensaries in these other 12 states? How do they? How do? They, how do medical marijuana people get their medical marijuana in the other 12 I, I states? I wonder if it's just not news in the other states. California just seems to be. Maybe that's just the place where it gets reported on the most re- readily. Maybe there aren't dispensaries elsewhere. Maybe you just get the the little license card as a marijuana user, and then you have the ability to grow your own. Or if you you know you get caught with it, then you're not uh, arraigned on charges. I don't know. That's a great question. If you're out there in one of those twelve other states, that would be really good. Actually, a smart way to know. do it because then you're a small fish, and the, and the DEA is like is less likely to want to. Well, yeah, because they want to go after they want to go after these stores because it's an easy centralized location. They can mm-hmm. go and hit the store, and in, in many cases, not even make any arrests, just go in, steal the drugs, steal the cash, and then wait for them to reset up shop somewhere else, give them a few months to get settled in, and do it all over again. Well, reading uh, one of Matt Simon uh, Matt Simon's articles from uh, NH Common Sense, you know, he said that there were a lot of problems. Basically, California was the first medical marijuana state, and there were a lot of problems uh, with uh, their medical marijuana law. Prop 9, was that what it was? Um, you know, previously, I don't know. I don't know. But 215? Something like that. And um, then, you know, Canada had has had that for quite some time to the point. And they were the government was growing the pot there. And that was terrible. So mm-hmm. essentially, some of these other states have learned from California's mistakes, he had said, and I would assume Canada's also. And they have better laws. And I don't know how those laws work. 
Brendan Hallett, or uh, excuse me, the spokesperson for the public health department says it's an, there's an indication that the club is in good standing with city laws because they have a permit from the city to be a marijuana facility. The pot club's attorney said they're in compliance with state and local laws. Uh, he said that they're well-respected and have a good reputation in the medical marijuana community, who added the business has never been raided in its five-year existence. Hanlon said the DEA would not tell him why the club was being busted, saying they're going to have a huge fight on their hands if they're arbitrarily busting clubs that are in compliance with state and local laws. Spokespersons for Americans for Safe Access, a national advocacy group for medical marijuana issues, wants the attorney general to explain the DEA's actions. We're shocked that after the attorney general had made repeated statements that raids on California medical cannabis dispensaries would be suspended, that we're seeing a continuation of that policy. But I am, for one, not shocked one iota. I mean, I had my fingers crossed. I had hoped that they'd meant it when they said it, but I can't say I'm shocked that they broke their promise here. And so when the, when the DEA is claiming that, oh, well, yes, we believe, we have reason to believe that there are violations of state law here. Does that mean that the DEA can go in and raid your business, your marijuana business, if you violate any state law? Because that's the way it sounds like to there me. There are a lot the, of them. <laughs> right. If that's the case, then, yeah, it's probably true that they were, you know, the the signage on their building was a little too large. Or probably they, two inches to the right of where it was designated yeah. as supposed to be or something. Right. Or they and, didn't have a no smoking sign inside. Or, you know, there could be some tiny little law, some piece of uh, regulation that nobody knows about. Of course, most people don't know about maybe, most laws. Maybe the, maybe the handicap markers on their parking spaces were, were a little faded. Could be and they weren't up to code. Yeah, Could be anything. Why, why in the world is the DEA enforcing laws that aren't um, federal laws? Well, uh, there's another actual related story to this from The Guardian in the UK that points out, let's see, advocates for marijuana decriminalization are skeptical, saying that it's disturbing because despite the DEA's vague claims about violations of state laws, they apparently made no effort to contact the local authorities who monitor and license medical marijuana providers. For an agency that for eight years said it couldn't care less about state law, to suddenly justify raids as an effort to uphold state law simply doesn't pass the smell test. But they're saying that only because that was the promise of the Attorney General. The Attorney General's promise was, we're not going to raid anymore in California or anywhere else unless there are violations of state law. So it sounds to me like all they have to do is find one state law violation, and bam! The DEA's back in, kicking indoors again, just like it used to. They only took a week off. (laughs) 800-259-9231. That's the SACL CAI toll-free line, but that's okay. We can just use the system to change the system, and then, oh, hmm. Doesn't look like that's working too well. The system doesn't want to change, even once the changes have been put through. They don't want to stop being violent. Would you like to help others find Free Talk Live? You can help us advertise, market, and promote the show at amp.freetalklive.com. Consider becoming a Free Talk Live amplifier now for $3 a month and get some cool bonuses at amp.freetalklive.com. This is Free Talk Live. You can dial in and bring up whatever you want. Toll free, 800-259-9231. That is the SACL CAI toll-free line. It's Ian here with you. And Dale. And Mark. And you can join us on our website at freetalklive.com. All the features on the site there are completely free, so enjoy those. Again, freetalklive.com. Your calls about anything. Last hour we talked about how the DEA, despite the Attorney General actually, or Attorney General rather, uh, getting out and and declaring 
that the federal raids on marijuana facilities will end under the Obama administration. We are stopping these federal raids unless they are violating state law as well. And that was the tag that he added on to his statement. And now the raids are continuing with the DEA claiming, well, first and foremost, you can't see our warrant because all of the documents in this case are completely sealed. We're not talking to the media, but we will say this. We believe that the state law has been violated. So therefore, we are A-OK and raiding this business, this medical marijuana facility, confiscating all their plants and stealing all their money. And the, the, the story didn't say anything about an arrest. So it's just like their standard, right. it's their standard motive operation they go in with their guns they point them at people who are completely harmless and peaceful these people have been in business Steal for five all their years stuff and then don't ask questions yep and this and the documents are sealed and good luck you know getting your stuff back they have a monopoly on crime so that's what's happening and you guys were asking well what about what about the other states what about the you know the 12 other states that have medical marijuana laws what are their rules well we looked at montana during the break just to uh, to take a look see at what else is out there and indeed there are no marijuana distribution facilities in montana there are caregivers which can mean that if for instance mark if you are crippled to the point where you couldn't even grow a plant like it, Actually, growing a marijuana plant would be too much work for you. Uh, you would probably want to hire a caregiver to do that work for you, to essentially grow the marijuana for you. You would then, I guess, get it from them. I don't know if they could be compensated or not. I didn't read all the rules, but but essentially that's caregivers how Caregivers are compensated generally. Okay. That, yeah, it would make sense. But that's basically how it works. So the caregiver can grow no more than six plants. So one caregiver can only give care to a handful of patients at, well, the, at the most. What you have to look at is that the laws are that that law is written poorly too, because um, generally when you uh, you know when you grow marijuana, you grow a, you know in a, in a grow operation, you'd grow small straight plants um, in you know you know get them at the right time, get big big old buds out of them. Instead, now what these caregivers are in, incentivized to do is to grow big giant plants because they can. Instead of uh, growing a bunch of little ones that will pr- uh, make a better yield, um, you know, have a better crop and you know more quality stuff, they'll have these giant plants that give them, you know, crappier weed. I've heard that it doesn't matter how high you grow the plants. I've heard that the same amount of weed grows on them. I don't know if it's true or not. But. I, you know, um, I all I'm do- going by is some experts I've talked to. Right. That's all I can say. Okay, so let's talk to an expert. Matt Simon is on the line. He is from New Hampshire Coalition for Common Sense, the group that has been Johnny on the spot up here in New Hampshire as far as getting the drug laws changed here. And you've actually had just a uh, quite a recent success. Yesterday, the medical marijuana bill that the House State House was looking at passed with flying colors. And it's my understanding, Matt, that that's the first time anything like that's ever happened in New Hampshire. First time ever, Ian. Good evening. How's it going, guys? Hey, good, hey. Sir. always nice to talk to you, Matt. That's uh, that's that's great. Now, didn't something pass like a year ago, like some sort of decrim? What was it? Didn't something else get a, a step in the right direction before? Yeah, last year the House passed uh, HB 1623, which was a, a very pretty weak decrim bill. It just reduced the penalty for possession across the board for possessing less than a quarter of an ounce after it went through committee. So that that went through the House, and that shocked everybody. But yet, uh, yesterday's vote was, you know, really overwhelming, and, and medical marijuana is a totally different issue, so we had to change gears this year. But, yeah, 96 vote margin yesterday, so we're looking to become hopefully the 14th state with the medical marijuana law. 
Now, that's pretty optimistic. Didn't the uh, governor essentially say he was going to veto any kind of medical marijuana, any marijuana-related legislation? What what makes you so optimistic that, you know, this is going to make it through the Senate, where the decrim bill died last year, as I understand it, and if it makes it through the Senate, actually make it through this governor that has pledged to veto it? I can't guarantee anything, but the governor hasn't pledged to veto this. He oh, really? To veto, no, the decrim bill last year, he pledged to veto right away. Oh. Uh, this bill, he has quote, concerns about, end quote, and he's concerned about the, quote, conflict with federal law, end quote, which there isn't one, and I can talk more about that if you want. But, uh, you know, he's going he's to talk to the medical community and talk to the law enforcement community and talk to legislators before he makes up his mind. So we're confident that he's going to be see that the smart political decision is not to block this, that there's so much support that it would it would be silly for him not to go along with it. The vote was overwhelming. What was it, 268 to 100, something like that? Not quite that good. 234 to 138. Still, that's tremendous. I mean, it's near, nearly a 100-vote lead there. Uh, and... So- now, uh, I'm sorry, uh, Matt, you'd said uh, that, uh, you know, in some article of yours that I read somewhere, and I've read uh, quite a few of them, and I couldn't tell you where I read it, that there's some differences in the bill that, uh, you know, in, that's going on in New Hampshire versus the bills in the the rest of the United States. And we were sort of just talking about that um, last hour. And I'm just wondering, what are some of the differences? Well, the main difference, I and mean, most people think of California as the standard medical marijuana example. Right, we were talking Anything about but. It's not the standard example. It's, it's the exception from a policy perspective. It was a, a very short uh, ballot initiative that passed in 96. It wasn't really thought through how marijuana was going to be grown and distributed and, and, and all these sorts of things. So it was left to counties to come up with their own policy. They all came up with different policies. But California is the only place where you have people growing marijuana for profit, selling it for profit, doing it legally under state law. And that's what attracts the federal attention. A patient growing six plants in a closet has never been raided by the federal government that I'm aware of. They don't focus on that. They focus on things where there's at least some potential where they can say there's trafficking. So there's never been any threat to states like Vermont and Maine and Rhode Island of of federal raids coming in and busting patients who have six plants in their closet. Okay. So how is New Hampshire different? Uh, different from what? From well, the, the other? Yeah, well, they're I mean, all a little bit different. The plant limits, the uh, the qualifying conditions. Each state legislature insists on writing its laws a little bit differently. And you know, the Health and Human Services Committee um, this year, the subcommittee went through our bill line by line, and you know, changed this, changed that, we reworded this, took this out. You know, so it's 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 not a perfect bill by any stretch of the imagination, but it definitely protect some of the some of the people who are you know just some of the most vulnerable members of our society who are victims of this terrible policy and so is it very specific in that it only allows treatment uh, marijuana to be used for specific diseases or is it going to be something where i could go and have uh, a little bit of eye pressure and get some marijuana to uh, to solve that no it's not going to work out that way for you probably i mean i it's um, going to be pretty pretty strictly limited to a list of serious illnesses, and that would include severe pain that isn't, you know, adequately treated by other stuff, but it won't include things like anxiety or insomnia uh, or, or things like that, which are included in California. 
So this is a bill that is very specific in the areas that it affects. It's not leaving things up to doctors to make the determination. Uh, they, they still could not say, well, I believe that marijuana will benefit my patient, therefore I'm prescribing it. That's not going to be possible. Not, not exactly, no. That's doctors will have to operate within the, the parameters of, of, of the bill. And that's, you know, I, I, I personally, I, I've never believed it's a good idea to have a loosely written medical marijuana policy where just anybody can sign up to be a patient because, you know, my view is that people who smoke marijuana are not necessarily sick and are not criminals. So, you know, I, I have a problem with saying every marijuana smoker in America is sick and wants and should sign up for a card. We need to talk about, you know, the other aspects of marijuana policy. But if it's going to take 5 or 10 or 20 years to get decrim and to get possibly legalization through, we got to get these damn multiple sclerosis patients and AIDS patients off the friggin' battlefield, and that's all this is about, really. I, I'm with you. Well, it's a step in the right direction, and hopefully, it will end up being successful. What's the What's the next uh, step in the process here? It's passed the House, so obviously the Senate has to take a look at this. When's that happening? Uh, what's What's going on with that? Hasn't been scheduled yet, but sometime in April or May, we'll have another committee hearing in the Senate, and you know, we think it'll go pretty well. Now, right. uh, about the we were uh, in last hour, we were talking about uh, a, you know, what was going on in California. And I guess so the dispensaries only exist in California and they're only raiding um, dispensary, dispensaries there because they're such big targets. That's basically it. But uh, it's, uh, there are a few dispensaries in other states, but they're nonprofit and they're pretty tightly regulated in how they're able to operate. It's a totally different team. NHCommonSense.org is your website. Matt, thanks for being on the show. As always, good hearing from you. More coming up. Free Talk Live. This is Free Talk Live. It's your show. You can dial in and bring up anything. 800-259-9231. That's the SACL CAI toll free line. And it's Ian here with you. And Dale. And Mark. And you can join us online at freetalklive.com. All the features are completely free, so enjoy those on us, including the wiki with over 1,800 pages created by listeners just like you. Head over to wiki.freetalklive.com, and you can edit virtually anything you see there. It's like the listener-editable version of our website at wiki.freetalklive.com. From creating old and new media to political action to civil disobedience and market-based activism, you'll find more pro-liberty activism than you ever imagined possible when you move to New Hampshire as part of the Free State Project, learn more at freestateproject.org. That's freestateproject.org. And it really is getting pretty exciting, isn't it, Dale? I mean, oh, yeah. you were there at the, the recent Social Sundays where we had over 30, over 30 people. Some people say 32 people showed up for what is essentially a, a social gathering. That we have every week. It, and it's, it's a weekly thing. It's, it's getting consistent. to be almost on, on, on scale with uh, T- Taproom Tuesdays in Manchester, which right. is quite a bit bigger city. So. Manchester is four times the population, plus Manchester is surrounded by other population centers. It's not far from Nashua and Concord, and so it's not a big deal for people in those areas to come out to a weekly hangout. But it's a little bit more of a drive for people to come out to Keene. And people are showing up. People are excited about being here. And the activism is, uh, is really coming together. There's more of it happening uh, in various different areas. And it's there's just so much to choose from. If what you want to do is is do politics, man, there's a lot of that going on. If you want to do non-cooperation and civil disobedience, you'll find a tremendous amount of support for that here. If you want to create media, that's available here, too, as well. And if there's something I haven't thought of or, or that you want to do, you can do it. There are people that will get behind it here. Uh, like our guy that called earlier uh, from Kentucky, Jimmy, 
he's got the IRS going after him down there. And his wife doesn't even support, or girlfriend or wife, I, I mis- don't recall which it was, but his significant other does not support him in that. So he must really feel like he's all alone. I mean, he's calling us, but how many people does he have in his area that, that'll back him up uh, in in standing up against the IRS? Probably none. Um, it seems like such a fundamental thing that you would want in your friends and loved ones, and even, especially in a spouse, is to... Take your side against the thugs. You know, it's You'd think. me or the thugs. You would think that that would be a sort of a key factor. But the thugs are just that intimidating, Dale, that people are so frightened of the thugs that they don't want to stick their head above the water. They don't want to be seen even associating with somebody that's sticking their head above water. But that's different here in New Hampshire. There are a lot of people that are willing to come to your uh, come to your aid to try to help out with whatever they can. In fact, that there's been a fund that's been set up specifically for that purpose, the CD Evolution Fund at cdevolution.org to back people up that are engaging in non-cooperation with the state. And I was just thinking, you know, how would that situation be different with Jimmy, who called earlier about the IRS coming and taping an envelope full of information and threats to his front door, basically saying, hey, pay up or else. How that could have played out differently here in New Hampshire. I mean, should should the individual who was being the victim of the IRS in that case want to do something about it instead of just stay quiet and try to uh, remain anonymous? You could have had a whole group of free staters or liberty activists go down to that IRS uh, agent's office and really make his life uh, Unusual. They love that. Bring some things into his life that he did not ever expect to happen when he sent out that threat. They're not used used to being able to work in the dark, secretively, quietly, and not feel accountable at all for the bad things that they're doing. So when we shine a light on them, when we bring a crowd in there, when we have lots of people different with cameras. We blog it, we YouTube it, and that's, that makes them very uncomfortable. So I'm just, I think that would be one way that things could have been different, and uh, who knows what the activists would come up with. The, one of the guys here in Keene, uh, Sam Robrin, on the, the forums pointed something out recently that I thought was incredibly uh, original. I mean, it, it wasn't original, but I'd never heard of it before, so it was original to me. He said that back in the old days... You know, back in the day when they p- people would bring guns in the state house here in New Hampshire and shoot them if they disagreed with uh, what was going on in the, the state assembly, in that kind of uh, times, if the state were to go after somebody for uh, like non-payment of taxes or whatever they wanted to go after you for, to, to, to take your house, for instance, if they wanted to do a tax sale on your home and sell it to somebody else right out from under you, which is essentially what they will do if you don't pay their taxes. They'll just sell your home out from under you. He said that back in the old days, people would go in with their guns on their hips. They would go into the tax sale, a group of them, essentially, so the, the victim who was having his house sold would have his friends all go into the tax sale, and they'd all stand around and basically intimidate anybody else from uh, from bidding on the, the property. Mm. So then the individual who it was that was having his house tax sailed would be the only one who would bid on the sale, and he'd be able to win it for like five cents or something like that. <laughs> that's what we ought to do. <laughs> so I think that's an awesome idea, and it's one of those things that's only possible when you have the numbers, when you have the amount of people that are behind you that we have here in New Hampshire, and that we're we're having more of every month. It's pretty cool. So we'll start to see more of those ideas pouring out and more people trying new things, things that have never been tried before in the history of the liberty movement, simply because we haven't had enough people to do these things before. It's pretty cool. All right, let's continue with your phone calls. Dorian is on the line in New Jersey. Dorian, you're on Free Talk Live. Hi, um, I just want to say I'm a huge fan of the show. Um, Welcome, sir. What's on your mind? I, 
Um, first of all, I wanted to ask you, uh, what brand are your headphones? I've actually been looking for a pair. I use the Sony's. I just actually got a new pair, uh, the Sony MDR V900, which is a fairly expensive uh, headphone. It's like 150 bucks, brand new. I ended up picking up these for 110 on, uh, I think it was, yeah, it was Amazon. It was one of the used ones that was being sold on Amazon. You've got the V600, Dale. They're a $70 set, brand new. I've used the the ones that Dale has on for. I had the, my first pair lasted me for nine years. They were such a great pair of headphones. The, the actual headphones still work, uh, or still worked when I decided to stop using them. What actually broke was the mechanical foldy thing, because the headphones will wow. fold up so you can put them away in a bag, and the, the one of the joints in the mechanics actually failed, so the headphones didn't actually fit anymore because of that. But the actual speaker and the headphone itself is still functioning. And so I got another pair of those, and yeah. I think they've been great. Yeah, I like uh, I, I like your headphones too. I've used them, you know, when you've been away, and my ears are big, and I Mine can't too. My, I can't use your average uh, set of headphones. I have a pair of Sony's also here in the studio that I haven't used in years. They're really they get used by the the co-hosts generally, and uh, Julia uses them because they smush my ears, and I after three hours they my ears ache. I don't people need say that. those are the better ones though. They say that that's the Sony seventy five oh six. I think it's the MDR seventy five oh six. They People swear by those headphones. Yeah. I, for one, can't stand them uh, just because I can't. You know, like yeah. you say, well, my ears are too big. You know, they might, it might be the the clearest, most crisp sound in the world. Yeah. If you can't wear them and they're painful. What good is it? Yes, yeah, it's, it's tough. Shopping for headphones is tough, uh, especially online, because if you can't actually try on the headphones. Then what are you going to do? Set, keep sh- paying shipping costs to send them back and forth between, uh, you know, between your house to try to decide on the right pair. So, uh, so if you've got big ears and you're looking for comfort, then go with the uh, Sony V600s or V900s. You'll I like just them. use cheap earbuds. <laughs> yeah, Mark just uses. Uh, what you, where'd you get those, Mark? Uh, the, these uh, I found. I find them. People, uh, you know, they're, <laughs> they're earbuds, right? I, I'm of the opinion that if I can uh, get them for free, it, it would be wrong to spend money um, on buying a nice set. I, I look at them all the time. I go go to stores and I think I should invest in these. But really, what's the point? I mean, life well, is good you, and I've got cheap earbuds. Yeah, I mean, they're working for you. You're just, you know, you're just the co-host on the show, Mark, so you don't have to monitor all of the things that are going on and the, the various audio levels and, and things like that. You don't, you're, <laughs> you're not the obsessive. engineer. Hey, thanks for the call. Good luck with your headphone hey, decisions. You. 800-259-9231. That's the SACL CAI toll-free line. You bring up anything, this is Free Talk Live. Government officials like to think they know better than the rest of us. They tell us what we can buy and when we can buy it. Everything from guns and booze to cold medicine and cigarettes. Now they've gone even farther. Cities across the country are now trying to tax and ban bottled water. That's right. Simple, no alcohol, no caffeine, no calorie bottled water. They say it's wasteful and buying it is, quote, stupid. But who are they to decide? If politicians decide you shouldn't even be able to buy bottled water, what's next? Visit us at enjoybottledwater.org and sign the petition to keep the nanny state out of our water bottles. This is Free Talk Live. You dial toll-free. Bring up what you want. 800-259-9231. That is the SACL CAI toll-free line. And it's Ian here with you. And Dale. And Mark. You can join us online at freetalklive.com. The features there are completely free. And the other uh, another place you're going to find some free stuff is over at Dale's website, anarchyinyourhead.com. Cartoons available twice fresh per week uh, posted up there at anarchyinyourhead.com. Plus some uh, occasionally biting commentary uh, by... Our very own Dale at anarchyinyourhead.com. 
The Institute for Humane Studies is offering 12 different seminars this summer in locations across the country. Participation? Free. And the IHS covers meals and housing. Um, seminars are for those simply curious about libertarian philosophy, to those who are passionate about liberty, even those who want career advice, networking opportunities, and lectures relevant to each career path. Hey, how about that? Libertarian career. I could look at that since I'm only the co-host around here. <laughs> LibertarianSeminars.com. Register today. Deadline is uh, March the 31st. It's LibertarianSeminars.com. We're all only co-hosts. It's just that I'm the co-host that does all the monitoring of the audio quality of the show. So I've got to have good headphones. We're talking about headphones. That's all. I, I, I'm, only the t- <laughs> I'm only the co-host with talent. What difference does it make? <laughs> all right. So we continue here. Alex is on the line in New Jersey. Alex, you're on Free Talk Live. Hey, guys. How's it going? Hey, going great. All right. So um, let's say that you're on the sea in the open ocean. And you have your boat. It's your private property and everything. You come across some pe- uh, two guys who are stranded on a dinghy, and you decide to rescue them because their ship sank. Okay. So you let them you let them come onto your boat, and you say to them, "Listen, there's one rule on my boat. You do not go downstairs into the ammunition room uh, because it's very a volatile place where you know there's a lot of uh, ways for the boat to blow up." Because you have munitions in there. Okay? Yeah, sounds like a reasonable now, rule. Now, you say to that guy explicitly, he's not allowed in there. And later, you find that guy down in that room smoking a cigarette. Oh, dear. <laughs> you, you decide that he is not welcome on your property anymore. And you decide to throw him off the boat. Walk the plank. Have you, have you, murdered, have you murdered him? Well, um, no. he would certainly die in the ocean. It's an interesting little conundrum you give. What about the dinghy? Did you not tow that thing along with you? It would seem silly to uh, to, to throw away a perfectly good dinghy. Um, that was might the, still was be... the dinghy full of holes when you found them? Excuse me? Was the dinghy full of holes when I found them, or did I tow the dinghy well, along? Let's, was let's, the dinghy inflatable? Let's say for sake of debate, it's not usable anymore. The same, the, yeah. just throw his body out onto the water. Well, wait, wait, wait. Has- what if the dinghy was still there? Let's presume you're not in a shipping channel and no one would come by. He might still starve to death uh, in in the dinghy, so it, you, he might die anyway, even if you have the dinghy. Yeah, but it's, um, it's, 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 a, it's a big step uh, from saying, you know, I, I'm putting you back on your dinghy the way I found you, here yeah. you are, to you're jumping <laughs> off and I don't know what's going to happen to you after you leave the plank. Yeah. Maybe you'll hit the water and drown, or maybe you won't. I think that there's, you know, there's a difference there, and one has to, you know, like it, it, it one scenario has gotten significantly more absurd when one says that the dinghy is no, no longer usable. I suppose they could be floating on some flotsam or jetsam. It would be fair to give him his dinghy back if you did have the dinghy for for certain. But we're saying that the, the dinghy was ruined. The dinghy was uh, destroyed in some kind of hurricane somehow. Yeah, freak accident. So yeah. it's a good question. What do you think, Dale? Is uh, the guy committing uh, murder? I don't really think. I I don't think you can call it murder. What if there's only a certain amount of food? Let's say there's only enough food for two people until you can get to port, and uh, or water. Let's say because you can die much quicker, much quicker from uh, dehydration. Let's say there's only enough water for two people, and there are three people on board, and you keep enough for yourself and say some uh, some other passenger who is on board besides the person you rescued. Are you murdering them by not providing them the water that would kill yourself if you get if you gave it to them? And the boat is the boat is uh, it's not you're not killing them. The boat is keeping them alive. 
Right, but you, you have don't no have obligation. to. You know, you had no obligation obligation to rescue. Well, them we're also falling into his trap here. Like, yeah. you know, when given one, essentially one or two choices, you you should really these, look for the other choices. These bizarre setups are right. all they're, they're all they're disaster <laughs> uh, for for libertarians because this is how they're shown to be cruel and heartless. Mm. Um, and my other question for you, Alex, is: Does my boat have no life raft? Um, yes, it, it would have a life raft because I think Only that one? most people would think it would be smart to have one. Only or, one? You know, have however many people you have on board. It's up to you to decide how many you think you should have. If I have an extra life raft, I think it's fair to give him the life raft and a uh, certain amount of uh, you know food and, and water since he was on just but on But he broke your and... rules. <laughs> Look, man. You gave him one rule when he came on that boat, and he broke it. You, yes. And presuming he spoke English and understood the rule, then I think you're totally justified. He could have blown us all up by smoking in the munitions room. It's so I should kill him? Well, I'm going to give him send one, him of, off one, with one of my turkey? mini light ra- life rafts. And you want to send all him right. off with your provisions? A, Some provisions? I don't know. It's not, there's a, there's, it, the question he's asking, again, is not should you kick him off, but if you, get, if you did decide to kick him off, would it be murder? I, I say no. I, I, I wouldn't say. Because murder has to do with actually killing somebody. In his case, he would drown and you wouldn't have done it. You, wouldn't have, you would not have caused that. Well, uh, what about uh, some kind of punishment when you get on land, some kind of restitution? Uh, what, are the, what about those options, Alex? Well, that's certainly uh, available, and I certainly wouldn't throw the guy overboard. Maybe I would put him in the brig or something and uh, try to get restitution for that. But Because, uh, you know, I, that's just how I am. But, you so know, where I, were you going with this? I there could... was somewhere you were going, right? <laughs> well, I'm, well, all I'm saying, it, it's just a, a hypothetical uh, idea to think about, because if we're going to do seasteading, we're going to have to be able <laughs> well, in, in the future, humanity, if we're okay. going to do seasteading, then we're going to have to figure out, well, we, I can't kick someone off my property on land as I do on sea, because if I kick them off on sea, they're just as good as dead because the sharks will get them. Seasteading, you know by the I mean? way, for those that don't the know, will get them. <laughs> is that uh, people The government are, is far more dangerous than sharks. People are planning <laughs> to build I platforms agree. out in the middle of the ocean and set up their own little societies on them, and it's, it's a very expensive uh, plan at the moment. Hopefully it'll become a reality, but it doesn't look like it's on the horizon, uh, at least in the, in the anytime near future. Uh, but So you're, you're really thinking hard about what seasteading is going to be like and how to deal with people if, if you uh contract for something as far as going out onto one of these seasteading platforms you contract to say okay i'm willing to come out and work on this platform or come out and live here you're going to probably have to sign some sort of an agreement and if uh if you violate the terms of that agreement it will be set out likely in advance what the punishment will be like okay you violated the terms of this agreement you lose your security deposit and that security deposit goes to pay for the gasoline that it takes to t- put you on a helicopter and fly you back to the mainland so also, i think that stuff will be the, taken care of a lot of the thing with seasteading too is you would own the, a portion of the actual platform that you're on and they can separate the idea is it's separable so it can be separated from the rest and you know there's you're not going to have time to negotiate a contract if you find the guy um, clinging to life at the end of a dinghy. You know what I mean? You can't. You're not going to sit down and say, "Here, sign this before I let you on the boat." You probably couldn't. But how is this? How is this a new problem? I mean, is this not is this not something that I, I I don't know. I think it's a it's a little bit of all the things I could I would worry about with seasteading that that would be one <laughs> so, of them. Some guy I mean, randomly coming up to a new dinghy. problem. If people are out on the sea now on boats and 
it, you know, and they could find someone. And uh, I don't really understand how this is something specifically related to seasteading. If anything, it would be less of a problem because they just there's just more resources on seasteading. If anything, they probably have somewhere they could put the person until they could uh, to keep them out of uh, dangerous. Dangerous cargo holds full of uh, ammunition. Yeah. They could be given a, a choice. They could be. Uh, you could bring the the guy in the dinghy could show up at the seasteading platform and they could say, "Hey, look, you know, we don't mind having you walking around, hanging out here on our wonderful little sea platform. Go enjoy all the restaurants and enjoy all of the uh, the things that we have here. But you're just going to have to sign this agreement. Otherwise, we're going to have to put you in that quarantine room over there, and we'll just, you know, we'll ship you out the next time that one of our food transports arrives or something like or that. Or call, you know, call the American ambassador." And say, do you want to send someone to get this guy? Or, yeah, I think it would all be taken care of. Alex, uh, any other thoughts? First tonight? thing you do is take away the cigarettes. No, thank you very much for the elaborate discussion. I appreciate it. All right, thank you, sir. Eight hundred. See, I thought he was trying to trap us too. I thought he was <laughs> going somewhere to like to to then. Oh well, if you think that's not what? murder, then what about this? Mm. All right. Well, well he didn't trap us. But there's somebody pr- out there that considers you a murderer now. I always say principles are sound and consistent. Uh, their application and reality is inevitably fuzzy. fuzzy. Well, if I was, if I'm a murderer for making the guy walk the plank for breaking the rules on the ship, would I also be a murderer for just saying no thanks, we don't want you? To the guy in the dinghy, <laughs> does that make me a murderer too? Eight hundred two five nine ninety two thirty one. That's the SACL CAI toll free line, and this is Free Talk Live. This is Free Talk Live. It's your show. You dial toll-free. Bring up anything. Even in these remaining moments, we'll try to sneak you in. 1-800-259-9231. That is the SACL CAI toll-free line, and it's Ian here with you. And Dale. And Mark. You can join us online at freetalklive.com. All the features we give away, so enjoy those. Again, freetalklive.com. You like the show? You want to help support Free Talk Live? You can do that by becoming a Free Talk Live amplifier for as little as three bucks a month. We take that money in and reinvest it into the show, getting on more radio stations around the country, uh, bringing more internet listeners on board, and helping expose new people to the ideas of freedom. So if that's valuable to you and you want to get perks like the Ampleney call-in lines, you just heard Alex on one of them. Uh, we've also got the Ampleney chat room and forum, all of the details. Get signed up. It's all at amp.freetalklive.com. Again, that's amp.freetalklive.com. Continuing with your phone calls, let's talk to Steve in South Carolina. Steve, you're on Free Talk Live with Ian Dale and Mark. Hey, guys. Steve, what's on your mind? Oh, well, I was just thinking about the hypothetical. I mean, if it's if it's a colony and they have a magistrate and they've come up with a, a rules for survival, I mean, they could put them in a stockade. They could put them in blocks. I mean, we're it, talking just to bring our listeners up to speed. You're talking about a scenario involving a guy in a dinghy approaching a either a ship or some sort of a colony on the water, and he comes on and breaks a rule. What do you do if if you throw him off? Is that murder? That was the original question. That's what you're commenting on. Correct. And I mean, there is a penalty involved. I mean, you, you've broken a rule that was expressed or explicitly expressed that you do not do. So, I mean, it just depends at that point. Uh, does the society at that in that colony uh, with a magistrate or somebody they appointed to be the overseer of uh, justice, I mean, can he, like, if he's smoking cigarettes, they can do like they do in the, the, the Muslim countries. They can just cut off his hand. 
He's going to be hard smoking cigarettes with his feet. Yeah. But, you know. <laughs> I, I get where you're coming from, and most Americans find the idea that uh, people that uh, people getting their hand cut off for stealing a loaf of bread to be reprehensible. And if you stay, we cut your hand off, or you can go. Well, the, you know, there's there's those <laughs> options, but you know, the, uh, this is where we get to the extreme, and I think that uh, you know libertarians can fall into this trap of you know personal property is everything. And I often use the example, well, what about a little girl that comes onto some guy's um, property to pick flowers? Is he allowed to shoot her because he's an old, cranky, nasty, crazy old man? Is that all right? I wouldn't think so because she's innocent and she doesn't know the rules or even understand them. It's either his property or it's not, man. Well, but the point is, I mean, it's it, she doesn't know that. As an adult, she would know that, but not as a child. Hey, look, the guy that was smoking the cigarette in the uh, in the uh, ammunition room didn't know that you were going to kick him off for smoking a cigarette in the ammunition room. He may have known that. They may have made You're, that very explicitly. He might not have believed that it was actually going to happen. Whatever, de- whatever you decide to do, you're going to be judged by other oh. people. I mean, there are going to be consequences for whatever you decide to do. I mean, people can ostracize anyone for any reason, and if that's the primary form of punishment... Then, uh, if you decide to shoot some little girl who walks on your property accidentally, not knowing the rules, then I think you're going to face ostracism. I mean, big time. It doesn't matter so. what you you might you can proclaim, like I've seen on the forum, some of the real hardcore property rights. You can proclaim that you have a right to do that. Well, fine, do it, and then see what happens because you're going to see some serious consequences. But as the point is. Is trespassing worth death? I mean, you have to. You have I don't to, think so. I I think not, and I think I that most people like would that not. Street. I don't think most people would um find that acceptable. And then that's what you're essentially you're, you'd essentially in a free society you'd be judged by your entire community. You wouldn't be a judged by some some arbitrary authority figure who uh who's who, you'd be judged by your entire community while you were hanging on a rope. Uh, and while you were tarred and feathered, and that's really the problem with a lot of free market justice that, uh, you know, people, that's what they hear, um, is that we get back to the idea of lynch mobs. And really, the judicial system currently today is meant to protect the perpetrator, not so much the uh, victims. Okay, so what we're saying is there has to be uh, someone or a, a group of authoritarians that will dole out justice. Because if not, then you end up with a mob attitude, and everybody just goes insane and just starts tar and feathering people for no reason. I, I'm not. Who I said that? I, that? Mark's saying that. I think. I don't know. But that I'm I don't, saying that necessarily uh, either. I'm saying I, that I think that uh, you know. I, that I, might be the idea. I just think that the government justice, the arbitrary authority, is worse than the than the than the possibility of a lynch mob. But a community has to have has to set down a certain amount of basic. Understanding and rights of what is moral and what is not. Uh, so, if the girl walks on the property and decides to rape her, yeah, what's the penalty for that? She was on my property. I I, I see the problems here. That's what, this is what one of the reasons that I have a problem with free market justice. I think that it uh, you know it, it you know, there's going to be these cases, there's going to be these nutballs that try to that, that push the limits of what the system can handle. Um, I think that by and large. That uh, you know, individuals can handle you know can handle their disputes through an arbitrator very very well. However, I think that there's certain circumstances where force needs to be applied to someone. Well, someone may decide to do that. I mean, if it's that bad of a case, then where you know, it, I, maybe someone will look the other way when force is applied because it's so bad. But I you know, I think that uh, uh, I think. That is 
again, most of these cases, I mean, I don't think you pick out this one bizarre case and say we're going to institute this arbitrary authority that's going to infringe on our rights constantly because this one bizarre case may come up every now and then. But there's no way to create this per- a perfect society. We don't have it now with the arbitrary authority, and it's not going to be a perfect society without it. The point is that we, we don't live in that sort of perfect Lynch world. Lynch mobs are not arbitrary. Lynch mobs were the way things were before we had uh, before we had police, essentially. Uh, you know, that's one of the reasons for them. Radical, uh, undisciplined, chaotic uh, group of people who get together and decide, yeah, well, this is what it's going to be with pitchforks and torches. But the thing is, is there has to be a foundation set, not a foundation of rules, but well, maybe, but uh, just a foundation of morality that says, okay, this is this is what is allowed and this is what is not allowed. And everybody, you have this in your own home, Mark. You're like, this is what's allowed, this was not allowed. If you're going to go off on me, you're going to hit the street. Well, I agree with you. I think that that foundation would be set by each individual property owner, and they would all decide individually how to set the rules on their property. And, and inevitably, over a wide uh, swath of, of uh, different properties, there are going to be some similar rules, and some might be different. And they're going to be community standards as well. Right. Th- th- those kinds of things happen. Those kinds of things evolve. Then you're going to have this huge book that's probably about you know a foot or two thick about everybody's different property rules, and you make sure that you know all the laws. That's so Are silly. Are you familiar with Come New on. Hampshire law and how thick it is? Well, the first of all, millions that's, of words. That's for, you're right, Dale. That's the truth. But the, it's also silly to believe that there's going to be this huge compendium of everybody's uh, laws and rules on their own private property. When you go into Burger King. There are certain signs on the front door that may enumerate uh, the specific behavior that is or is not appropriate in yeah, no, their particular service. business place. I'm sorry, what? No shirt, no shoes, no service. Okay, that's one of them. Yeah. Of course, or, that's the law, actually. Right, or there may be some stores like a bookstore or some, some other place may not want you bringing drinks in there or th- whatever. The, the, sure, many no cases, dogs. the big rules that you need to follow are right there on the front door. You don't have to stop in at the customer and, service desk and, and get a list of, them, of the rules. Most of them are understood because they're community standards. They're just understood. It's like, there was, uh, it's like if there's a, you know, you know how to purchase things you know that when you walk into a store you can't just walk out with items in the store that's not put up on signs anywhere that's just something people know because it's a a community standard and and that's and that continues on in a voluntary society most of our society now is voluntary it's just this criminal element which is claimed by these authoritarian governments so you know you know not to kill somebody i mean but you don't you'll never know all the specific rules that are written by the government about, you know, these little idiosyncrasies that they have about certain little things. And that's my whole point. There has to be just a general foundation with an overview that everybody agrees to. And it's like, you know, well, we know we don't murder anybody and we know that we don't steal. I mean, but but like you guys have always said in your commercials, there's no way you're ever going to know all the laws. Yeah, you can't, and that's one of the problems with the system that we have today, and I think that the foundation you're looking for is going to be there because in the marketplace, that's what people want. They want something that's easy to understand. They want a system that makes sense. They want a system that is, is, it, it works, and the marketplace is the only, uh, the only entity that can bring that into play. The government can't because the, all they can do is just keep piling rule upon rule after rule and uh, you know modifying them and expanding them, and, and it gets to the point where it's so unwieldy. Nobody has any idea what the rules are, including the enforcers themselves. I mean, there was a quote in the, the newspaper by a cop who uh, was talking about parking meters.
years being fed by people. He said he didn't know if it was illegal. I mean, he was being quoted in the newspaper. He didn't even bother to do the research the, the to find that, out. Yeah, and the cop that pulled over Mike Barsky, and, and he ended up going to court for uh, having concealed weapon in his car, which he didn't actually do. The cop admitted himself he didn't know the gun laws. He had to go go back to base, uh, go back to the police space, and and look it up. Steve, we're out of time. I thank you for the call tonight. Uh, I think the lynch mob objection is seems like a valid objection on its face, but we also have to remember that in order to get to a situation where we have a no governmental situation, the authoritarian government is gone. We have to evolve to the point where we understand what all that means, to where we can actually embrace those ideas on a much larger scale than we currently are today in society. And I think that kind of change would go a long way to eliminating the lynch mob problem. Plus, people also defend themselves. We'll see you tomorrow night. You ever have one of those days where everything goes right? First, I get the best parking space at work. Tonight, I have a date with a very lovely Rachel. And today, I gave a killer presentation in Sydney, finalized a contract in London, and demoed our new product in Boston. Online, from my desk, with WebEx. WebEx lets me take meetings and give presentations from my desk. I just talk to clients on the phone, and they watch what's happening on my desktop from their desktop. So I can travel the world and still be here for my date tonight with Rachel. Travel less, meet online. Go to WebEx.com and try WebEx free. Just click the radio graphic and enter promo code 600 to get a free trial and a free webcam, too. Remember that code, 600, to qualify for the free webcam. WebEx, now part of Cisco and used by more than 5.5 million people every month. Give it a try, free. Go to WebEx.com and enter the promo code 600. W-E-B-E-X.com. Free webcams available while supplies last. Terms and restrictions apply. See website for details.